to the Screaming Cinema Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Max, and I'm joined as always by a co-host here, Tyler. Hey, Max. How's it going? Good, man. We have a rowdy episode tonight. <laughs> yes, we uh, do. Poured a couple stiff drinks. We're going to be talking about Rob Zombie's masterpieces, Halloween 1 and Halloween 2. I, I wouldn't go as far as masterpieces, but, you know, <laughs> to each their <laughs> own, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, it's my first and second favorite Halloween movie, so I'm excited. I really hope not. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, joined by our third co-host, as always, a man with two names, James Cole. Uh, what's up, guys? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I never know how to segue myself into the conversation, but I'm here. I, I, I like your awkward segues. They work. I'm here. I um, am, am warming up. I have these films burned into my brain forever. Um, <laughs> and I think my dog actually really liked part two. So that's something. She, there you go. She's really yeah. into I, it. I see you have hobo Michael Myers as your screensaver. I have uh, him from one and looks like Tyler's got him choking out in, uh, in, in his background. The so one and true. solid ones there. The one and yep. true Michael Myers, hobo Michael Myers. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, today we have a special guest. It's our first guest we've had outside of uh, the trio here. His name is Bob, and he has a horror movie podcast as well called Straight Chillin', a horror movie podcast. Is that right, Bob? Yeah, that is correct. Um, thanks for having me on, guys. I, I'm looking forward yeah, to talking absolutely. to you. Um, yeah, glad to have you. These are both fantastic movies, and I've wanted to talk about them uh, for quite some time. So thanks for making that happen for me. <laughs> yeah we're looking at your uh the website you had and think you have some pretty good taste the first thing you say is halloween fanatic so <laughs> that is definitely uh i think allows you to be a good guest on here as well as podcasting for about six times longer than all of us so good job on that <laughs> thank you <laughs> um yeah i'm looking forward to it guys I see you say uh, Sleepaway Camp is one of your favorites. Uh, James Cole, we were talking about on a previous episode, just bought the Scream Factory one with the slipcover for like, what was it, 100 bucks? No, it was like 70 bucks on eBay. <laughs> wow. Dude, that was the first... You gotta have it. That was the first Scream Factory Blu-ray that I ever bought, and it was right when it first came out, and I was like hemming and hawing about it because I think it was like 26 bucks or something, and I was like, I don't know. I guess I'll pull the trigger, and I bought it, loved it, thought it was amazing, and then now I have a wall of movies behind me. I love Scream Factory, Arrow, Criterion, you know, Vinegar Syndrome, all that shit. Um, it yeah, o- yeah. opened a can of worms, man. So it really does. It's a pit, but it's um, that has really become a huge part of my life. I really have gotten a lot of joy out of them, yeah, like, wa- watching them with my girlfriend and collecting them, and, and they just look nice. Like it just looks nice sitting there. You have a nice like curated kind of look rather than like just a bunch of shit just that, that are like isn't organized. <laughs> and I just can't stand that. It, it aggravates me in yep. like, Reddit groups and stuff like that when 
people look at my collection i'm like dude that's like your grandma's vanity like do something about that <laughs> tighten get up of, exactly get rid of anger management on blu-ray get rid of the water boy <laughs> you don't need that no hold on to those until they go out of print and then sell them on ebay for 100 bucks yeah it's okay, gonna happen you got the right idea, man. Yeah, I, yeah. I can look at your stuff behind you. It just looks nice, and it's it's really cool to see. Uh, I don't know. Feels good. I feel seen a little bit. There's other people out there. That feel, so it's cool. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, I spend a ton of money on Scream Factory. Luckily, I get Arrow movies in for review, so I can save a few bucks on that. I've been trying my hardest to get Criterion uh, and uh, Shout Factory, but for whatever reason, uh, a little bit harder to get into there. So I'll have my huge Arrow collection and what I can afford for the rest. So nice yep fantastic what do you guys been uh watching this last week besides rob zombies halloween one and two uh i guess i'll uh i guess i'll lead us off uh so for the first time since uh theaters i sat down and watched uh robert eggers uh the witch which um you know, the first time I watched it in in theaters, uh, I was a big fan. Um, very, very, very moody, very atmospheric. Uh, love, you know, the uh, you know visual style that Robert Eggers brings to uh, all of his films. Um, and yeah, like it's a it's a very slow burn uh, movie, which I really uh, enjoy from him. Um, you know, not a lot of you know jump scares, not a lot of gore, any, anything like that. Just a very you know, very, very atmospheric film. Um, and yeah, Black Phillip will, uh, will mess up your shit, man. <laughs> if you're not careful. Um, that one's funny. I saw that the first time at like 1130. So I was tired and I hated it. I was like, this is the worst movie. Like, I don't have no idea why everyone likes it. And then I revisited it like at a regular time, maybe two years after that. And I really loved it. I think I was just didn't have the sub- subtitles on. They're talking in the accents. And I was like, you know, falling in and out of sleep and thought it was boring. I think I missed the baby murder scene and in the Black Phillips stuff. So I didn't really know what was going on. <laughs> but second time watching it, it was awesome. I'm with you. It's It's a great movie. Yeah, I think Cole was actually the one that got me onto it because, like, he saw it in theaters and really like touted it for me, and so you know, I I was really excited for it, and and it it didn't disappoint. Like, I I I, I really dig it. Uh, you know, wasn't actually a fan of the Lighthouse very much. I know that pains you, Cole, but uh, you know, I really like his first effort into into mainstream horror for sure. Dude, let me tell you. So I saw both those movies at. Uh film festivals and I'll, I'll just come clean since um i was really i was in canada when i saw the lighthouse and i was really inebriated <laughs> and i was in canada if you get what i'm saying i was in canada <laughs> and, uh man it was really wild experience it was really hazy um that movie definitely had to grow on me but um it, it's one that we've watched several times at home and like really laughed about like quite a bit but anyway the witch the witch rules dude it's so awesome <laughs> yeah yeah the lighthouse takes a certain personality uh in, in film style you really have to like kind of that um you know indie kind of art tour uh style you know, otherwise it's just two guys getting drunk hanging out with accents and a little bit of uh, mermaid pussy <laughs> cloaca mermaid cloaca oh there you go thanks for setting us straight <laughs> no problem <laughs> Um, the, the one I wanted to talk about was I got the haunting in from Paramount, uh, their Paramount presents line. And I checked that out. I haven't seen that. I think since in theaters or maybe like when the DVD or Blu-ray first came out, but pretty funny cast. Liam Neeson is a doctor. 
got Catherine Zeta-Jones and Owen Wilson and Lily Taylor in it. And it's just, I was watching the special features. It's kind of funny. They wanted to make it the haunting of Hill house, but I guess there was some rights issues for it. So they kind of had to change the story a little bit and just made it. Liam Neeson is a uh, sleep doctor or pretending to be a sleep doctor, really just doing some scare experiments and trying to scare them, but shit actually goes wrong. And the house tries to, uh, tries to kill them all, but love the huge budget, you know, nineties Hollywood movies that they would never get made now for how much those sets were showed the behind the scenes. It was like, they had to put it in one of the biggest uh, studio lots where it would be like, I think a hundred feet tall in some of those areas. And yeah. they built like a four story greenhouse just for a couple scenes. So um, probably didn't make its money back, but I like having on Blu-ray now. The movie did. Okay. Um, when it came out, I got that Blu-ray too and watched it. I thought the first like, 30, 35 minutes of it were pretty solid. And then it really goes off the rails into being something that's like really pretty bad. But the sets are good. I mean, yep. you know, Jan DeBont directed that movie who did Speed and <laughs> was the Twister. cinematographer for Roar. That movie, Roar, about the lions. <laughs> um, but it, I don't know, man. I, I remember like the trailer for that. When I was a kid, I went with my mom to the movies and I freaked out and scared and I left the theater. Then I saw the movie and I was like 12 and I was like, are you kidding me? Like that was so lame. And I was like horrified. But did you like the movie, Max? Um, I, mean, I liked it for what it was. It was entertaining, but there's not a lot of story, right? They go there. It, they're walking around. There's a couple, you know, jump scare scenes. Uh, Lily Taylor like vaguely finds that. You know, this guy may have been capturing kids from the, you know, the town and murdering them or using them as slaves or locking them up or whatever. But yeah, there wasn't really a ton going on plot wise. So you got to rely on the acting, which, um, you know, is, uh, is what it is. I think it was funny though. Um, the retro special feature they have on it, which is Catherine Zeta Jones and like, a full makeup just talking about the movie and like yeah this is the movie where the director did this and then it cuts to it like you never see special features like that anymore so right it's the last of its kind it's a nice little relic to have there paramount goes all out dude so i think that's what they're trying to do with those movies is like trying to be like look how amazing look at the history of paramount so it's kind of interesting they released the haunting so <laughs> yeah random catalog Par- paramount presents line yeah, yeah it's 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 very 90s like pg-13 horror um you know and 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 you're right like they don't make them like that anymore like you know uh those are mostly reserved uh you know for the blumhouse group uh these days um but yeah um like you Cole, i i saw the preview for it when i was like 12 or 13 years old and i remember being really psyched i was like that looks really fucking freaky uh and then I, I remember seeing it and I was really let down as well. Uh, didn't quite have the bite uh, that I wanted. Didn't quite have uh, the dark atmosphere that I was looking for. Um, you know, overall disappointment, but I actually haven't seen that movie in probably 15 years. So, I mean, I can't really say, um, you know, if it's, if it's held up at all, but uh, you know, maybe down the line, I'll, I'll give it another watch. Nice Bob. What have you been watching? Uh, other than a ton of Halloween movies, um, I recently watched that new Netflix original. It's called Vampires vs. the Bronx. Uh, we did a show on it over at Straight Chilling. Um, it's pretty cool, man. It's got some like Fright Night vibes. Uh, you're following this group of kids in present-day Bronx, and these vampires move in, and they're sort of like 
taken over their neighborhood. They're gentrifying the shit out of it. And it just turns out that like all these people that are buying up properties are vampires and the kids are like in on what's going on. None of the adults are listening to them. I don't know. It, it just reminded me of like attack the block a little bit. Definitely some Fright Night vibes. Uh, it's pretty fun. Pretty goofy. Uh, it's a short movie. I want to say it's like 80 minutes long. Hell yeah. If you're just looking for like something something new on Netflix, you know, you throw it on. It's pretty enjoyable for what it is. Uh, it's got Method Man in it playing a preacher, which is kind of a random <laughs> random thing for him to show nice. up in. But I enjoyed that pretty good. Um, I also revisited Over the Garden Wall, which is like not scary in any way. Uh, are, are you familiar with this? Have you guys seen this at all? Yeah, I'm familiar with it. Yeah, it's it's something I gotta watch like every every time like fall rolls rolls around like the beginning of October. Um, it's a cartoon. It was on um, Cartoon Network. It's like ten episodes, I think. Yeah, ten episodes. Um, and it's got like a pretty incredible voice acting ca- cast. It's got like Elijah Wood and Christopher Lloyd in it. Um, and it, it it's it's very like fantastical. Um, it's about th- these two kids that get lost in these woods and you know, there's like a spooky monster called the beast that's after them and they make a bunch of friends along the way. It's, it's very like old school animation style. Um, it's got some fantastic music in it as well. And it's just like very, very fall vibes, I guess. So I, I don't Looks know. I cool. recommend, yeah, I recommend it highly. Um, it's great. Good stuff. Looks like it's on HBO max. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, and each episode's only like 10 to 15 minutes, so you can blast through them all pretty quickly. I want to watch... I didn't know Vampires vs. the Bronx was on uh, Netflix, so I'm probably going to watch that actually once I get off. I've been watching a lot of old-school horror stuff, some Hammer stuff, but mostly stuff my girlfriend hasn't seen that I own on Screen Factory. And even though there's like a lot of kick-ass streaming options, I'm like, we have these Blu-rays here. Like I need to watch them. I paid like 25, 30 bucks a pop for them. Like we're watching the shit out of these. Um, <laughs> right. But like, I, I am going to watch that movie. I think uh, I'm going to propose to watch that whenever we uh, get off here. But uh, so we watched uh, two site, two sequels of uh, psycho. Have you guys seen any of the psycho sequels? Not me. I've only seen part two. Part two. What do you think? Do you like it? It's not bad. Yeah. It's really um, bad. It's, yeah, Psycho, it's worth watching. Psycho Two is 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 pretty damn good. Um, you know, I I definitely had my doubts uh, after I watched the first Psycho and thinking like you know that a sequel would never be able to live up to the hype. But uh, Two is actually really really damn good. Uh, three and Four begin to get into a little bit of yeah. cheese area area, but uh, but Two is solid for sure. Yeah, I think so too. It's kind of like this really um i mean it's not like a really intense movie but i mean i, I guess it is in some respects but it's um it's basically like a crime thriller essentially it's very dark and moody and brooding um in a lot of ways but anthony perkins is able to kind of bring that charm to it and he's like in his 50s at this point but still is able to have this kind of like childlike look to him and um i i like it man i, I think third one yeah it's a little more goofy um there's not as much to tell, but I like story-wise to get into him. But um, I think they do a solid job with him. Um, Anthony Perkins directed the third one, so that's kind of cool. Um, he gives himself lots of close-ups, and sadly he died just a few years after I think the fourth one, which I, I haven't seen the fourth one, but 
but I know Mick Garris directed it, but I think it was like a made for Showtime movie. So it's I, a, it was a, it was a made for like Showtime HBO like type movie in the, in the nineties. Uh, and, and, and you can definitely tell it's, yeah. it's, it's very, the, the budget drops significantly. It's not, it's not as tight. Um, but, uh, I will still watch Psycho 4 over the Psycho remake. Any day. <laughs> oh, I have um, that on VHS. I, I enjoy that one. Um, but, uh, yeah, Henry Thomas plays the young Norman Bates in the fourth one is what I saw. But the, the second one especially is is really worth watching. I think people should check it out. It's like really does a lot of cool stuff with Norman Bates and um, just, you know, his mental capacity. And I, I don't know, man. I, I don't like to spoil anything. I really like people just to kind of go in, but it's very dark and moody, and I, I think it works. So that's what we watched. Very good. All right. Well, uh, let's get into uh, the meat of the episode, uh, if you will. Uh, we have been plowing through uh, the Halloween series, uh, one, uh, two, and then the uh, Thorn trilogy, four, five, and six, uh, as well as H2O and Resurrection. Um, so now we are uh, on to episode four, and we are into uh, Rob Zombie's duo of films, uh, Halloween one and two. So, uh, so basically, Resurrection in uh, 2002 basically killed the Halloween series uh, for a good five years, uh, you know, give or take. And, uh, you know, the riots were still with Dimension, you know, with the Weinsteins. Uh, and I don't think they quite knew what they wanted to do with it. So, uh, you know, Rob Zombie had made, uh, you know, House of a Thousand Corpses and you know, Devil's Rejects. And so... Uh, he was approached to uh, kind of reboot the Halloween series or remake or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so this this technically uh, is considered a remake. I myself don't like to consider this a remake. I kind of like to consider it like more of like a reimagining or more of like a modern day take, you know, less of a remake because like I don't really think you can remake uh, something like the first Halloween. But, uh, you know, Rob Zombie does his damnedest. Um but, uh, you know, we all know the story, um, you know, but this one definitely goes uh, more into the backstory of Michael Myers, for better or worse. Um, you know, Rob Zombie really likes to focus uh, the first half of the film on basically Michael's really fucked up uh, upbringing, um, you know, had a really bad family life, uh, and that's putting it very lightly. Um, you know, he... Uh, he goes really in depth on, you know, kind of what makes Michael tick, uh, you know, why he is the way he is, which I don't think necessarily is a good thing. But, uh, you know, I'll get into that later on. But, uh, you know, basically, uh, first half of the film just dives straight into, you know, Michael as I, I think he's like eight or nine years old or something like that. Basically, um, you know, in school and, uh, you know, getting bullied uh, has a really uh, piss poor family life. Uh, his, his mom is, uh, a stripper down at the local club. Uh, his, I guess, stepdad or dad of the week or whatever fucking hates him. His, uh, his older sister pays him no attention. Dad of the week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> seriously, seriously, dad of the week. Um, but, uh, yeah, Rob Zombie really, uh, you know, kind of, you know, I he really wanted to make it his vision. I think he was really held back uh, by the Weinstein's uh, with this film. I think they really wanted to go after that remake uh, sensibility with this film. 
uh, and they kind of just had a, a very strict template of what they wanted to follow. And uh, from from interviews that I've heard and just from things that he said, uh, he really did not have a good experience with that. I mean, and who has a good experience uh, with the Weinsteins these days? <laughs> but uh, yeah, do you guys remember the first time you saw uh, Halloween in, in uh, theaters back in 07? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, go ahead. Yes. <laughs> I remember uh, just waiting for the first hour to go by, and uh, we actually get to Halloween night with grown-up Michael Myers killing people. Uh, finally got there, and then by the time we got there, I was like, man, I kinda, I'm kind of i just ready for the movie to be over now. I can't <laughs> wait for it to end. It, uh, it definitely, you feel that, uh, that push and pull going on with like Rob Zombie's original vision for this movie and him sort of paying homage to the original, and the two don't really jive. It, it doesn't feel like a cohesive film, and you definitely kind of feel that going on here. Uh, man, I, I do remember seeing this movie. Um, I don't think I saw it in theaters, but I bought it on DVD when it first you know, was released. Um, I was a little more... I don't know. I, I remember not being as annoyed by it, by maybe just enjoying like how ridiculous it was, especially in the opening stuff. It's, I mean, everyone talks about that breakfast scene, you know, I mean, that's like the scene, you know, that you could just like show people and you're like, okay, you've got the first half of the movie down. Like, let's just go to the second part of it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I remember not what I remember is not remembering how, effective the second half of the movie is um and that's what was a big shock to me whenever re-watching it on the screen factory box set that i have um and i think that there is some thing to defend with the second half of it so um i but i still cannot have any sort of fondness for it regardless i don't know why i, I don't know why I, I there's something because i'm all about an artist, a director, just doing whatever the hell they want, really just trying something completely new. I, I usually give movies a lot of props for that, but um, I don't know. There's just something to it. Maybe it's because it's Halloween, but it still just doesn't feel... Yeah, you're right, Tyler. It doesn't feel like it should be part of this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I saw it in theaters, and I remember kind of just being turned off by the first half. I don't think at that point, you know, I think I was... 17 so i wasn't a halloween aficionado i've probably seen a handful of the movies I remember we talked about starting off with h2o and then kind of working my way through revisiting some of them so i think i was the same as you it didn't turn me off as much as like oh this does not fit in the canon you know this can't be here i remember the first like you said first 30 minutes just being like this is does not need to be in here. It's just we always talk about it. It's Rob Zombies, like redneck, stupid ass shit. It's like, hey, fuck you, you fucking, you know, blah, 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 and just cussing out and just like, <laughs> I don't want it to live in this, like, you know, moment for a minute. And I think that's what they're going for, right? Showing what caused Michael. It's his mom was a stripper, his dad is mean, everyone hates him, everyone bullies him, you know, just getting them to where it snaps. So maybe it's a little bit of nature and a little bit of nurture, but that's not what you know, Michael Myers is supposed to be, that's his vision. But, um, 
But I do agree the second half, you know, deserves defending. And I think that if I had 10 hours and I had knew how to edit that there's a good movie to be made of this. If you just pick up right where he kills his family and if you just cut out all of the, you know, overly, I don't know, crude stuff in there, like especially where Michael Myers gets out because, you know, two of the guards are raping one of the new inmates and he decides to to get out that way. Just all the stuff that doesn't need to be in there. Like I think Rob Zombie uses the score pretty well. I don't know who if someone redid the score, but I think it's just Carpenter's themes mostly in there. And I really like that. I think that works for the remake. And I think you can see where Halloween uh, 2018 actually takes a lot from this. They take the really mean Michael Myers from this and how they use that. And they actually take, I guess, more than I thought. I had pretty much written this movie out, so I haven't really seen it in like five, six years. But now rewatching it after I've seen 2018, you can kind of see where where they take some of the good pieces of this. But there's definitely a good movie in there. And, um, you know, this one is, is not necessarily it the way it's cut. But um, do you guys know if there's a big difference between the director's cut and the theatrical cut i I only have the director's cut and haven't really obviously bothered watching both to compare it so zombies films are actually pretty unique in the fact that like most mainstream releases are now just the director's cuts like i like i don't even think you can find the theatrical version of two uh i i i like looked on amazon and i think there was like a very like out of print uh dvd or blu-ray or 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 something of two that was the theatrical version and so, uh, you know, Rob Zombie really wants his vision to be heard, um, you know, for for better or worse. Like, you know, and and for instance, that rape scene was not present in the theatrical version, which that that scene was not necessary. Like, you know, I thought no. I thought that uh, his uh, his escape in the theatrical version was was just fine, um, you know, and I didn't think he needed to go there. But, uh, you know. Rob Zombie, you know, you you either like and appreciate his work or you don't. I mean, he he definitely has a very certain visual style. He has a certain vision that he likes on all of his films, um, you know, and you're just, you know, you're either in his camp or not, um, you know. And while I think he shows definitely signs of, you know, being a talented director, mostly in Devil's Rejects, I, I, I think that's his best film to date. Hasn't touched that uh, since then. But I mean, I've just I've I've never been a huge fan of his personally. Um, you know the, uh, you know I've I've always appreciated in the Halloween series like the, you know fear of the unknown as far as Michael is concerned. Um, it's much more scarier that way. I don't need to know what makes Michael tick. I don't need to know that he had a fucked up childhood. I don't need to know that you know, he had a horrible family life. Like, you know, it was, it was much more scary in the original series when you realize that like this kid just fucking snapped, like, you know, without any reason, without any rhyme. Um, and I don't know, I feel like zombie just kind of cheapens, uh, Michael's backstory with just the retelling of a white trash, like just kind of just tale about like Michael just, just having a fucked up, like, home life. You know, I, I don't like it. Like I've, I've never appreciated it. And, you know, I just feel like, you know, zombie just tries to instill the certain feel into all of his films and it doesn't quite work for the Halloween series as it kind of does for the others. I mean, that's just me. 
personally. You know, the one thing I would do like about this that I would like better than the original is how um, they have the sister connection, obviously being able to know their sisters in, in the future films and connect that. I think that was maybe one of the parts I liked where, you know, he snapped, he killed everyone. His mom was, you know, sad and killed herself. And that's what left, um, you know, that's what left Lori there. I think that's the only piece that I'm like, yeah, that makes more sense than like, yeah, she's just magically his sister, you know, from later on and he didn't see her and she was a baby and we just maybe at the party with her parents or whatever, like that whole thing is just, uh, I guess cause you can retro retcon it now, but that was the one piece of the writing that I actually thought was, was kind of interesting and, and a good way to do it. Something that happened in the first half of this movie that was very baffling to me, which kind of, the second movie clarifies a little bit, I think. Um, but you know, whenever you see uh, Lori or Angel or whatever you want to boo the baby, the baby uh, who was referred to as Boo as the, in this movie, uh, the way Michael interacts with her is he's he's very very sweet, very kind. He's always kissing her on the head and like telling her that he loves her and stuff. And it's like when the movie first starts and you don't know exactly how it's going to play out. You're like, okay, this is obviously a side of Michael Myers that I never thought I would ever see in any movie. Um, so it, it, you sort of like see a softer side of Michael Myers, I guess. Um, and as the as the movie goes on, he actually he tells his mom that he loves her as well, and like you know she looks pretty one day and all this stuff. But then the other side, he's you know he's killing uh, you know animals and 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 he kills one of his classmates. Um, he obviously kills his family. Um, it's it's just like sort of. I don't know exactly what the point of including all of that in this movie is. Like you do, like him having a rough home life does track and that makes sense. Um, But him like just being very sweet and loving doesn't really add up for me, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what purpose that was supposed to serve necessarily other than to like humanize him. But I, I, I don't even really know like what, what, he's supposed to be in this movie because throughout the movie, like uh, the way he's defined has changed. Um, Loomis refers to him as like an angelic child early on. Um, and then he, he says like, he's a psychopath. And you're like, okay, I know what that is. I can understand that he's a psychopath. But then as it evolves further, he refers to him as like, you know, evil and, and the antichrist. And you're like, okay, so which one, where are we going? What are we going with here exactly? I know is he the Antichrist and he also loves his mother? Like what is happening? I don't really I don't follow. It's confusing. It's a confusing message. I don't know. Do you guys have anything to make of all of that? I I don't like him talking. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think if we had picked yeah. up when like maybe his dad was beating up on him and he just kind of stopped talking, but like the conversations with his mom, like, Mommy, I want to come home. Like you murdered yeah. your family because you snapped and maybe you have anger problems. But then I guess maybe he's saying, you know, being institutionalized causes you to get fucked up further and it is not helpful. Maybe that's what, what they're saying there. But then as soon as he's alone and nurse Wynn is mean to him, then he just stabs her ass in the neck with a fork and kills her too. So yeah, it doesn't seem like, you know, it seems like he wanted certain elements, but didn't really know how to tie them together with, with what he was going to p- try to portray Michael as. So I agree with you there. Yeah, and that could be the Weinstein's influence, right? Like maybe he really, really wanted to humanize Michael Myers, but then they're like, no, but he's got to be pure evil because that's you know what what Michael is, well, right? I mean, I I think in this duo of movies, like you know, they wanted to always point out that Michael has a soft spot, you know, for Laurie, like mm. you know that he doesn't necessarily want to hurt Laurie, like he just he wants a relationship with her, 
And yet she wants nothing to do with him because of just all the like fucked up shit that he's done. But yeah, I mean, to give Michael that human aspect one second and then to just turn him into like a brutal fucking killer the next is, is yeah, very, very uneven, very, very all over the place. Um, something that, you know, every time I watch it, I'm, I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little turned off with as well, for sure. Yeah. Is there anything? Yeah, he does. Oh, I would say, is there anything mentioning, uh, synopsis wise to, you know, if anyone hasn't seen this one that separates it from the original, obviously like we're saying there's, you know, a, a big backstory that's not in the original, you know, he escapes, but pretty much after that, they, they go beat by beat with just changing minor details. Um, because I think what mm-hmm. Loomis is there to, to try to stop him and they go, uh, I guess, um, they go to a broken down house for hanging out instead of uh, Lindsay Wallace's house at one point. Uh, but it seems like, I mean, there's not much that, that differs there besides how, how they do the kills. It's a similar story of hanging out with Bob and, and doing all that stuff. So I don't know if there's anything you want to touch on, you know, synopsis wise uh, that that's important. I mean, from what I understand, the Weinstein has basically told Rob Zombie, like, as long as you fit the remake in there somewhere, like, of the original Halloween night, like, you know, you can basically go into backstory or do whatever you need to do. So, I mean, and and and, and Rob Zombie did that. Like, you know, the second half of the film is, you know, not a shot-for-shot remake, you know, by any means, but, like, you know, Rob Zombie definitely has his take uh, on a bunch of the, you know, beats of the first film. Um and so, uh, you know, and I think like, you know, certain aspects like of, you know, Michael, like being, um, in the, in the institution, you know, is present, like in like the TV version of, of Halloween, but, uh, you know, definitely a, you know, fresh take on the, on the, on the upbringing of, of Michael, um, you know, and, and, and Rob definitely has like, you know, differing shots and differing kills, like of, you know, certain things, it, in the second half, but a lot of it is just very, very consistent, you know, on the high point stories of the, of the original Halloween film. Loomis has more to do in this, you know, he's like given speeches about Michael Myers and, uh, you know, going around doing talks. He, he's like sort of building celebrity out of this, this, uh, tragic event that happened when little kid Michael Myers killed his family. Um, and he just continues to build steam into the second movie as well. So they give a little more towards Loomis, I guess. That's a change. He's like Gil Weathers. <laughs> he is. He really is, yeah. Uh, I don't know. So I guess in previous episodes, you kind of talked about uh, direction, score, technical aspects on this. Uh, Score-wise, I don't know what, what you guys think. But I think they just – don't they just use cuts of John Carpenter? Or is there any other music in there? Uh, I mean, they use aspects of Carpenter score. I think they use aspects of like Laurie's theme, uh, you know, in the, in the second half, but, uh, you know, score is pretty just, uh, you know, pretty, pretty straightforward. Um, you know, I don't really see anything to differentiate it from, you know, Carpenter's original score or the, you know, or the Thorn trilogy or, you know, anything like that. You know, he just, uh, he, he kind of puts a, you know, a messier spin on it, I'll say, but, uh, <laughs> you know, nothing that, you know, I think really differentiates it from, you know, other films in the series. Well, we can get into the cast then. This movie has a ton more characters than the original Halloween one. 
Um, whereas we're just dealing with just a few here. We have, I feel like so many additional characters, uh, outside of kind of the main, main trio of girls and their boyfriend. Obviously, uh, the first uh, big difference you mentioned is Loomis, uh, character played by Malcolm McDowell, who is hilarious in the beginning of this. I was like drinking, hanging out, watching the first half and then I actually finished the second half in the morning. And he's just like a hippie dude with the glasses, thinking he's cool, coming hanging in uh, to talk to talk to Michael. And then the other one that was really shocking was Brad Dourif as as Sheriff Lee Brackett. That one is just a really interesting casting choice, and, and totally changes kind of how we go about both of these movies as compared to uh, you know what John Carpenter tried to do with, with his sheriff. He gets a little more uh, Brad Dourif, especially gets a little more. Uh, intense as Sheriff Brackett. Rob Zombie mm-hmm. asked a little more of him than, like, I guess, Charles Cyphers. You get more of, like, a, one of them was Annie. You get him, like, breaking down. <laughs> and it's really, yeah, yeah. you know, so I, I like that stuff in it. I, I think that that stuff is really notable within the film um, and setting a character. And you can feel that, even though I do not like this take on Loomis, that there's some character that, and some thought that was put into it. And that, that's cool, man. I mean, that's, I think that's fine. Um, but, you know, as far as, as far as the narrative stuff, as we get going talking about it, I think it is really redundant. I mean, if you didn't like Love Hurts by Nazareth now, after watching this, like you're <laughs> never going to like that song. And if you like that song, you probably Lies. don't like it. Lies. Either way, you're fucked. Wow. Odd choice. Odd choice. I do like that Rob Zombie consistently uses like horror actors. Like he he brings these old school horror actors. Like he's got Ken Foray in here playing this character named Big Grizzly, Joe who Grizzly. I thought was hilarious. Yeah. That's, that is awesome. that's yeah. the best way to get that, this, the jumpsuit for sure. I think that's like, yeah. yeah, he's a great character. It really that. is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, William Forsythe's um, character, Ronnie White, probably the most unlikable character ever. He's the one that's just ragging on everyone in the family in his wheelchair, like obviously getting the strip. Yeah, obviously getting the stripper money. So I think that kill is is one of the ones where you're like, man, this dude definitely deserved it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You know, if if I had to enjoy a kill in the entire film, uh, it would it would have to be him. Uh, that that dude is the scum of the fucking earth, and you literally do not give a shit if he lives or dies. Uh, and you're kind of glad that Michael does uh, slit his throat the way he does. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no. No, no redeeming qualities whatsoever uh, for William Forsyth at all. You're right about the horror actors, though. You got Udo Kier, Danny Trejo, D. Wallace, Sid Haig. Uh, I mean, some of them are, are small parts here and there. Obviously, uh, Daniel Harris bringing her back was, I think, a really cool decision. So there is a uh, yeah, there is a ton sure. of uh, of horror actors, which is, is fun to kind of see what little roles they have. I think Sid Haig's was the shortest. It was just like showing somebody around before he you know does stupid stuff. Yeah. Um, Clint Howard was a doctor, yeah. apparently. He was he was very very briefly mentioned um, in the in the film. Yeah. Um, I do want to talk about Loomis though. Go back just a little sec because uh, I didn't get to talk to him. Uh, while I don't necessarily like his performance, uh, his performance in number one is miles ahead of what he is in two. <laughs> For sure. Uh, we'll 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 get into that later. But uh, you know, at least he portrays aspects of you know, the original character of, of Loomis in the, in the first one, um, you know, he's definitely more, uh, you know, he's less, 
he's less caring. Like he, he, he doesn't care kind of, you know, about, you know, who Michael kills and like, you know, who he's after. He's, he's mostly just, uh, you know, trying to stop him for, you know, his own sake. Um, you know, while I felt like Donald Pleasance definitely showed a lot more, uh, kind of humility towards, um, you know, the characters that he was interacting with. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, while I'm not a huge fan of Malcolm McDowell's portrayal in this film, I mean, he does, he does an okay job, I feel like. But, uh, yeah, so let's get into, uh, I guess, uh, some of the, uh, I guess, teens of this film, uh, you know, quote-unquote teens. Uh, Scout Taylor Compton uh, takes on the role, the iconic role of Laurie Strode uh, in this film. Um, I've kind of always liked uh, her portrayal uh, of Laurie in in these films. Um, you know, while I don't necessarily like the movies as a whole, I feel like her performances are very well done. Uh, she plays hysterical and scared very well. Um, she is definitely a, you know, quote unquote scream queen. Uh, she, uh, she really goes for it uh, whenever Michael is chasing her or if she's in like a lot of distress. Um, and uh, especially in the first one, I feel like she still kind of pulls off that Laurie Strode kind of good girl character uh, pretty well that, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis obviously made, you know, very famous, um, you know, decades earlier. But, uh, you know, what are your guys' uh, views on uh, on Scout Taylor Compton's portrayal? I feel like her performance is fantastic, but I feel like the writing and probably direction of the character is very conflicted. It's as conflicted as this movie is to me. The first time we see Laurie Strode, she's just like unloading a string of swears at her mother and she's fingering a bagel and shit. And it's just like, you know, how is this Laurie Strode? And then she goes to school and she's hanging out with her friends in the library and they call her Mother Teresa because like she never tells a lie and stuff. So it's, it's like, which version of this character is she? Um, then they're like, you know, walking down the the street, which of course they, they have to do that right in a Halloween remake. And they see Michael in the distance and they're like taunting him sexually and saying incredibly vulgar shit. And it's, it's just like not totally jiving with like the good girl, Laurie Strode, that it seems like they're trying to convince you that she is. Even even in the sequel, she says stuff like, you know, I've always been a good girl, and or you know, it's but it doesn't really seem that that's the case to me. It seems conflicted. I don't know. I think I mean, that's the writing, I mean, though, not I mean, that's the, just the zombies writing. I mean, yeah, really. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely think you got to separate that because when I was watching it, seeing that scene where they're walking, it's like they're just like the bad girl versions of the other one where they're talking about like kissing yeah. boys and like doing homework here. They're just you know. <laughs> dropping f-bombs and like you said taunting michael myers about like having sex with him or something it's just like the most random um stuff so those characters for me watching it it's hard to determine who's supposed to be who at the beginning because they're all a little bit similar looking it's like who's linda uh, who's annie who's Lori. um it's a little bit more difficult to tell um at least personally for me whereas before it's like you know jamie lee is obviously the good girl with these two uh, more bad influences on her whereas this one they're all kind of grouped together a little bit cole any thoughts on uh, on Lori? <laughs> Man, I, I, I you know I, I get to the point with this because I normally like to kind of sit back and hear what you guys are going to say, but I I don't know, man. I, I think when it comes to this, I think there is like two sides of the coin. 
you know, with it, I, I think that, yeah, I mean, she does do a damn good job and she has a, a physical prowess about her. Like, dude, this is a demanding role. Like it's probably one of the most demanding roles of anybody has had in the Halloween franchise. I mean, it's so gnarly. It's so gnarly, but it doesn't add up at all. I mean, dude, the bagel fingering, <laughs> especially <laughs> is what sticks out is like a really poor character moment. Um, I think it's bad improv most likely. Um, he's like, just do whatever. And Rob Zombie, I don't think was thinking, you know, how that's going to look, even though it might seem, I don't know, to give these young women like some sort of agency, some sort of like, you know, like kind of making them like turn, like subvert, turn the characters a little bit. But um, I, I think it's more so confusing um, than anything. But Scout Taylor Compton will literally be able to go to conventions for the next 40 years and make a lot of money. So good on her. Um, and uh, it's, I, I think, I think she is memorable um, for sure for fans of the franchise. If you're not a big fan of the franchise, I think you're, you know, what the hell is going on here? Um, so I think, I think in regards to her, you know, I think you guys really um, summed it up well. I'm going to talk more about her in two, but yeah, I'll leave that for the next one. Yeah. Um, so let's get into her, uh, her best friends. Uh, Daniel Harris is back yes. uh, in the series um, from, from a very, Long hiatus, uh, you know, uh, last seen in five, uh, uh, you know, Revenge of Michael Myers back in 1989. So, you know, she's definitely uh, was gone a long time, you know, should have been cast in six. Uh, we talked about that a lot on the last episode, uh, you know, how she got done dirty, uh, you know, by the executives. But, uh, you know, I feel like this kind of gives her a little bit of retribution. I, I love her portrayal yeah. uh, of, of, of Annie. Um, you know, I definitely think that she brings those aspects of, you know, Nancy Loomis, you know, from the original kind of that, you know, tough badass, you know, as well as, as kind of has a, a sweeter side, I guess you could say. But, uh, you know, it's it's really weird to see Daniel Harris playing anyone other than Jamie in the Halloween franchise. But she really does bring her own style and modern take of, of Annie. And I've always liked that uh, a lot. And I'm and I'm glad that she continued to be a part. Uh, of the franchise because you know she's still very talented even though she was nowhere close to being uh of of teen age uh I was gonna when say she that. was cast in this movie like i think she was like 32 or 33 when this movie came out so but she just has that very childlike face you know i i think that's so strange because I, I was gonna bring that up too i was like man she's like 30 something because uh she's an urban legend as well playing a college student which is like a movie that came out like almost 10 years before that. So I, I don't know how that is supposed to work. Um, I, I don't know. Is that something, it, it kind of bothers me in movies when I see that stuff, but I don't know. Do you think people even think about that when they're watching that movie at all? Because it's, it's really mostly like, these people do not look like high school students regardless. And that's the thing, is it? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, really, truly, do they ever like in in film and TV series? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I, I don't know. I I I feel like that's been the trend for the last you well, know sure. twenty thirty years. Sure, like you know twenty to thirty somethings playing high school students, but the the cast of Scream. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, even so, this is it's a nice nod mm-hmm. to the fans to yeah to have them you know to have her in it, and she acts the hell out of it. So I mean.
And then what we got Linda, right? Yeah, she. Oh, sorry. You can go ahead and about uh, Annie. Linda. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say Annie is. Man, her like kill sequence, even though she ends up not dying in the movie, is probably the most brutal sequence in this whole movie. And just the fact that like Danielle Harris was down for that, it, my hat's off to her, man. That's like it's it's pretty it's pretty insane the shit that they put her through, and like to be from what I've heard covered in fake blood is incredibly uncomfortable and she's just laying in it for i would assume hours you know in real life it's just it's it's pretty intense man that whole scene um but it's it's always cool seeing like daniel harris be brought back regardless of her age i think it is just sort of like an immediate pass because like hey it's Danielle Harris. It's good to see her again, you know. She kills it in this movie and yeah, in the she sequel, does get brutalized. That yeah. scene where she's just like running around topless for like maybe like ten minutes, just getting like beaten, and then she grabs a knife, and then you know he finally you know knocks her down or knocks her out, and yeah. yeah, I love that he leaves her as bait too and stands behind the door, just knowing that they're gonna come in and, and, and try to help out. So um, definitely another physical performance for for her as well as Scout Taylor Compton. Um. So um so Linda in this film uh played by uh, an actress named Christina Club um she's definitely a more passing character uh than PJ Souls was uh in the original film uh definitely a much more throwaway uh character you know she uh she's only in two scenes like she's in uh, you know the walk home and you know obviously her and Bob uh you know get brutalized in the Myers house later um you know, I've actually kind of liked uh, that aspect of of zombies film and the fact that like they kind of chose some old like rundown Myers house to go, you know, get it on rather than uh, you know try to intrude on Annie and Lori and all that. I think that's a little more realistic, but uh, yeah, um, I don't know. I feel like the kills of like her and and Bob in this one don't hold a, a torch to the original. Um, you know, I I feel like they're just kind of uh, you know, lumped together in the in the string of kills that he does uh, throughout the film, and nothing really brings it uh, into memorable uh, territory for me. Uh, I mean, but she does okay. You know, I mean, I don't really have much to say about her. Nope. I thought I thought the Bob ghost fake out me was too. clever. I enjoyed that, and it makes sense too because in the original. You know, did Michael Myers actually sit down and cut holes out of a sheet and make himself a little ghosty costume? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It makes more sense that Bob made it and then he killed him and took his costume. I don't. I kind of like yeah, that little spin on the it. Anyway, we've been talking about all the funny shit Michael Myers does, like even in the new one, which we'll talk about later, like <laughs> like cutting the guy's head off and hollowing it out, and you know, picking up a tea candle and, and or flashlight yeah. or whatever and sticking it in there, being like, "I'm gonna roll up the car to see what he says about this." Like all those ones, you kind of just have to, you know, suspend <laughs> uh, suspend belief to see him actually doing all of these kind of really creative things just to get a just to get a big moment. <laughs> he likes to be he he likes to be detailed, yeah, he, man. Like he 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 likes the show factor. You know what what can you say, you know? That they said the tombstone yeah. was a ton too, so apparently he hauled that from the graveyard, thousand pounds over to uh, <laughs> uh, oh, uh strongest Michael Myers of oh, any movie. Well, easily. You guys, is there any other characters you want to talk about or can we talk about him now um, i guess we should talk about uh grizzly right well <laughs> so i want to talk about him just very briefly but i do want to talk about it. i i do kind of like the aspect of this film how they kind of dig into the relationship with Lori and her parents i think it's kind of cool like you know that they kind of show her kind of very very happy you know very you know very content 
you know, after the hell that, you know, obviously she didn't know that she experienced as a, as a baby, but, uh, you know, it just makes those kills of her parents so much more just, you know, sadistic and brutal. They're these very corny, very like, you know, by the numbers parents that are just, you know, the sweetest of the sweet. Uh, and they just are, you know, become just, you know, bodies in, in, in his wake. Um, and I don't know. I just kind of like her her interaction with them uh, over the second half of the film. That's a good point, especially with D. Wallace. That's a yeah. Seeing her get her neck snapped is definitely brutal. You but, know, uh, it, it, this movie. You know, when I'm at, when we're talking about and I'm thinking about the characters and just revisiting scenes in my mind, like there are some good shots, and I think there's like, especially that one with D. Wallace of her standing on the porch. I really like that that part a lot, especially. Um, and this movie more so, and Big Joe Grizzly, of course, it, this movie's more so about, not about, but it, it's better when you just think about individual scenes and individual moments than it as a whole. And then when, as we get into talking about the second part ex, uh, extensively, which I'm sure we will, um, it really seems like looking at that as just like its own kind of filmmaking exercise more so than like a film. Or like something that is cohesive, um, and to me, I think taking it on those terms is makes it a lot more palatable, and I think makes it more, you know, interesting to talk about. Uh, you know, it's almost like a, it's weird. It's like a movie that you would think is like a hypothetical that people would talk about, but it's actually real, and we can talk about it. That's what I think is the best aspect of the movie in in and of itself. It's just that it's kind of weird that it exists. Yeah, let's talk about Ken Foray's Big Joe Grizzly because he has maybe the most memorable quick moment. He's got a big rig. He pulls it into like this uh, semi-car wash area, and he's just like walking around, big swinging dick. He's like, hey, don't scratch my paint job. He's got these awesome mutton chops. Uh, just kind of talking down to everyone and he's this big ass character and he goes in the bathroom to look at a porno mag and Michael comes up with his dirty ass sandal feet that are covered with mud and he's talking about you know taking a big shit because the burrito's fighting with him and to go stand somewhere else and then when he stands up to throw down with him he's got the big ass knife and you kind of think he's going to put up a fight but that's when they really show how Michael's not going to, you know, even have a match at all because he just smashes him into the side of the stall, breaks the window. He just destroys him and it's not even, not even close. So I think that just kind of sets the tone for when we talk about Michael, his, his performance, I think uh, is just awesome how strong and he is. It's like a mixture of like, you know, later Jason's with the, the, you know, WWF kind of uh, a build of a character, which I don't always like in movies, but I think it works in this one, especially with, with a zombies film better than like, you know, some kind of robotic or mechanical person that doesn't have that anger and aggression that he really showed in the beginning of the film. Yeah. Uh, Joe Grizzly's death really, you know, I, I definitely think it's much more prevalent in the, in the second film, but it definitely shows the excess that zombie likes to portray uh, in all of Michael's kills uh, throughout uh, his series. Like, you know, while other filmmakers were much more, you know, apt to stop, you know, after, you know, one stab here, or one like head crush here, like zombie just continues on and on and on and just continues to linger on just, you know, just the beating that he gives and just the, just the fucking brutalization that he brings to like, 
you know, the kills of all these characters. Like, you know, and I can definitely talk much more about that on the second film than the first because he actually is a little bit more restrained in the first than he is on the second. But, uh, yeah, you know, Ken Flory, you know, he, he makes a very short appearance, but it's a memorable it's a memorable appearance to uh, say the least. Should we get into the shape? Yeah, the man of the hour himself. Um, so uh, Tyler Maine uh, joins the cast uh, as Michael. Uh, this is a version of Michael uh, that we've never seen before uh, on film. You know, I know that Michael has always been portrayed, uh, you know, in film as, you know, not being huge, you know, like your Jasons, uh, but, uh, you know, definitely a, a definitely physical you know, specimen. Tyler Maine, like, is 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 the physical specimen. The dude is like seven feet tall. Uh, you know, this is this is the start of you know, kind of giant Michael Myers. Uh, you know that my, that you know Rob Zombie wanted to portray. And honestly, you know, when I first saw his portrayal, I wasn't a huge fan. Uh, you know, of of Michael, I thought it was definitely more of a Jason Voorhees type character. Uh, but I've warmed up to it over the years. Uh, you know, it, it, it just, it, it is what it is. I mean, Rob definitely wanted to bring a more physical, a, def, a much more like, you know, gargantuan, you know, portrayal of Michael. And, and that's what he did. And he's definitely the most physically imposing and brutal portrayal uh, of Michael ever put on film, arguably. So. He's a six nine, three hundred pounds, and his other filmography roles as being Sabretooth in X Men, being a barbarian chieftain in the Scorpion King. It's just, yeah, he's he's unlike anything we've seen before. I mean, even Kane Hodder is six three. So when you think about that, like they have shots where he's standing in the doorway, and that's how it actually be like if you go up to your front door, he'd be looking in like your top window part of your front door at you. So um, I think when I talk about the kills a little bit, it's cool, but I love how he just destroys everything in his way. It's like he wants to get in a house. He'll just break down the windows. He easily bursts down the doors. It kind of makes it scarier, especially when he's coming after you. Like it doesn't matter where you're hiding, especially at the, in the finale, which you can talk about where he just destroys the entire fucking house. So the two by four breaks the entire thing down. It seems like you just demolish the house by hand. Yeah. I mean, you know, the thing with him being big, <laughs> being a big boy, being a burly boy, is I think it kind of makes up for like a lack of writing because you can just do whatever you want, you know? So it, it, it kind of is a cheat code in a way for your film, <laughs> which is fine, I guess. I mean, he looks good on camera. I think that's what Rob Zombie likes to see is, uh, I mean, you're not going to forget him. You know, like, you know, look at him standing next to Danny Trejo over there, guys. Okay. Like, I know the people that are yeah. listening can't see it. I mean, six nine is pretty big. It's also a great number, but it, you know, it's just <laughs> crazy to me to see him that large. But you kind of look at him as, uh, what's the kid's name? Dag Flarg or something like that that plays him as a young Dag- kid. Dag Fersh Farsh. He's got the coolest name. He's got the coolest Wikipedia name now. American actor, model, rapper, and producer now. So I was listening yeah, to mate. Zombie talk about him on Howard Stern, and he was like, "Man, that damn on a different planet now." Um, so it, it, it's weird to see the transition. You know, you think, I mean, that's a glow up, I guess, if people want to call it that. <laughs> You know, it's different. I mean, there are probably people that we went to high school with that look different now. 
middle school with, whatever, but it's a, it's a bit of a leap. But um, Tyler Main does his thing. He's better than, um, you know, some of the other Michael Myers ones that we've had, like in yep. part five. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's definitely better than Don Shanks and uh, yeah, Christopher Ran H two O. So um, yeah, we talked about him. So you know, it is what it is. He's cool. He's cool. He's memorable, and you can see his face. <laughs> I like his size. I like that they make Michael Myers this huge, imposing force. Because like in in the original series, he's supposed to be sort. Of, he becomes anyways this sort of like force of nature. Uh, that that's unstoppable, and you know, even in the original movie, he's picking people up by the th- the throat with one hand. To be able to do that, you're going to be a massive individual. It just feels actually a little bit more realistic in this movie that he would be a huge guy and be able to do that, and be able to like you know stab a knife all the way through somebody's body and then you know pin them to the wall with it. You got to be pretty damn strong to do that kind of thing. So, I mean, it just, it adds to the uh, realism that Rob Zombie seems to be going for as far as like the troubled upbringing of Michael Myers and, and, and the psychology of Michael Myers. And, you know, he's that strong because he's just a huge dude, I guess. It, it kind of, it follows um, for me. Do you want to, you guys want to get into the kills? Probably some of them will have to, you know, gloss over because there's like 20, 25 maybe. Um, uh, I just want to say one uh, quick thing uh, about the mask and this one. I actually feel like this is one of the better masks in the. Yes in the series, like, you know, we went through a definitely lull period, uh, of like five and H2O and, you know, resurrection. I feel like this is definitely one of the better mask, uh, you know, the, that, that they put on screen. You can definitely feel the age, uh, of it, you know, that he buried in the Myers house for years and years. And, uh, I don't know. I like that piece of it. I like that piece that he used it to kill originally and is going back for it. Not just like, exactly. you know, the clown mask to, to robbing a, a hardware store. That's a good point. Yeah. It, mm. it, it definitely has more meaning behind it that like, you know, this mask has seen some things, you know, rather than just grabbing, you know, some random mask, like at, at the, at the hardware store, like on his way to commit these murders. You know, so uh, I, I I definitely like that aspect a lot uh, of the film. Uh, so moving on to the kills then, um, I guess this could kind of, you know, tell the story a little bit too for each of these. Starts out by killing his, uh, his pet rat um, <laughs> and then moves on to getting bullied about his mom being a stripper. So he, you know, finds the kid uh, after school and beats him and bashes his head in with a, with a tree branch. Uh, and that leads us up to the uh, the ultimate kind of uh, family massacre uh, that he has, where he goes and, and takes out uh, his stepdad, slits his throat, stabs him, you know, in, in the chest, and then um, also takes out takes out Steve with a baseball bat, just beating his head uh, into a pulp there, and then knocking off uh, Judith Myers um, with with a knife as well. So that whole scene kind of really sets the tone for this dude's got some aggression. He's not just going to kill. He's going to like annihilate the bodies. Yeah. Um, that whole sequence basically starting, uh, you know, <laughs> he goes from eating candy one second uh, alone at the kitchen table to like, you know, just completely just murdering everyone in that house. Uh, it's just like he flips a switch. Um, but uh, out of all those, I think, uh, I think poor Steve gets it the worst. Uh, getting beaten with a baseball bat when you don't even see it coming is just, uh, God, <laughs> brutal. Absolutely brutal. 
Man, I'm looking at this kill list, and I can't even figure out who <laughs> some of these people are by just by looking at their names. So uh, mm-hmm. next, he kind of, the I guess, the final nail in the coffin for, for him being stuck there when he's a kid. He starts to kind of, you know, come around, and uh, Loomis takes his mom out uh, to talk to her, and the nurse Wynn comes in, played by uh, Sybil Danning, and she just kind of, like, you know, says a little comment to him. And so he stabs her, like, ten times in the, th- in the throat with just a fork. Um, to take her out. And so after that, you know, it's kind of lock, lock him away, throw the key if, if it wasn't already. Um, so we have that scene that kind of is pretty brutal. And then in this one, like I talked about before, his mom kills herself with, uh, with a boo or angel in the house. She shoots herself after it cause she just can't handle it anymore. Everyone's dead except her daughter, which you think would matter, but I guess it doesn't. Um, and then from there we kind of get to his breakout where we just have tons of bodies, right? So they have these guards in and out talking shit to him, similar to the other movie. It's 15 years. He's there. So they kind of just think they can fuck with him. Like this is just this big guy. Just don't touch the mask. It'll freak out. So this is the scene. Um, I think this is the scene where the guards take in a brand new patient to the sanitarium out to, uh, to rape him. And I think it'd be funny to take him into Michael Myers room and try to get him to you know have sex with her too i guess and obviously take it way too far in the movie and actually like show everything in the unrated cut which is just completely you know you don't need to see that and i don't think he honestly cares until one of them like puts on the mask or starts messing with his mask and then he takes him out and, and decides it's uh it's time to get out of there and um i guess you know go go wreak havoc on halloween but I have this list. It's just head bludgeoned, head bashed, shot uh, in the stomach with a shotgun, throat ripped out, throat ripped out, two more workers, uh, head shoved three times in a sink, and the TV smashed on his head by Danny Trejo's character. <laughs> so I I will say that Danny Trejo's character's death is, is, is kind of heartbreaking because that guy was in Michael's corner for years and years and years and st- stuck up for him, watched over him, and like it's just fucking heartbreaking how like when he's getting drowned in the sink he's like you know i i was good to you mikey i was good to you like that 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 sucks man when he tried to put on the cuffs and it's like a really tense moment like is he actually gonna let him or not that was a great scene Uh, all right, so then we get into Joe Grizzly, uh, slammed 14 times against the bathroom stall and stabbed in the stomach. He just annihilates the whole entire entire bathroom uh, with him there. I mean, I wish I knew who these people were. Grant Clark strangled to death, coyote crucified on a stick uh, at the gravesite. Um, so I have the animals in here too. And then that takes us to the real characters' kills where it's not just kind of the body count anymore. Uh, Linda and Bob hanging out, having sex in the abandoned house. Uh, And you mentioned, I think Bob puts on the ghost costume, which is a little bit more realistic. And we have a much more brutal um, wall Mm -hmm. pinning uh, with the knife. And then Linda's uh, strangled there. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on on that scene. I know you talked about it kind of being just some, just to get it over with as much as Linda wasn't as big of a character in this one as she was in the original. Yeah, the the kill sequence isn't much to write home about. I guess she does show up later uh laying in front of the tombstone that that he steals from the cemetery and that's like that's really all we see of her. She's she's not a, a no, real major character. I was character, just going to say like, you know, it's 2007 so you can't use a uh, you know, rotary phone to uh, wrap her on her neck. So uh 
you know, you got to go with the next best thing, (laughs) which is your bare hands. But, uh, you know. Very true. And that leads us into one of the heartbreaking ones. Like we were talking about the Strodes. Uh, Rolls up to to their house and takes out the dad with the kitchen knife and then just annihilates uh, Dee Wallace, slams her into the uh, glass table, uh, pulls her head back, snaps her neck, stabs her in the throat. Just brutal kill. She yeah, has her does. picture like, of Lori too. <laughs> that's that's the one to me that's really yeah heartbreaking. yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess maybe it hits a little close to home, being a suburban kid. <laughs> so I don't know. It's it's so sad, man. They didn't do anything. They just adopted somebody. <laughs> like it's just shit, man. Yeah. <laughs> it sucks, <laughs> but it's it's effective. I mean, it's really effective. Yeah. No, her, uh, her, and uh, Mrs. Strode uh, from Curse uh, are are definitely the ones that just like man, those poor ladies, like they were just in the wrong place at the wrong time type uh, yeah. type thing. But uh, you know, yeah. Here and then, here's where we get away from kind of the the original where um, Paul and Annie are hooking up, and Paul gets killed, and Annie just gets brutalized. Like you think she's dead. But he just drags her all around town. She's topless the whole time, um, just yeah, just horrible. And then leaves her there to be bait for Lori. So Lori comes in and she can't even talk. She's so messed up. She's trying to tell her. And Lori goes on the phone and just like telling the paramedics everything apparently. And he just you know comes in and they have a pretty good showdown there. Actually gets the call off to the police officers, which is kind of surprising when I rewatched it that that happened. But. I guess that just adds to the body count when the, when the cops go in and, and they don't stand a chance. It's a pretty cool scene when she's locked in the bathroom with the uh, the two kids uh, and the police officers there and trying to unlock the door and he gets stabbed and his blood starts coming out of his mouth down the the clear um, the clear window. But both those uh, cops are off and you know he walks away with uh, walks away with Lori. Yeah, that that part with the the cops. And the blood coming down with the kids in there. I, I really, I really like that part. And it does because, like, at that point in the movie, it does, that is what I was thinking. I was like, okay, we're just getting a higher body count. And I, and I just remember just like laughing every time that that part comes up because it's just like you're just like no for like what kind of like a, almost just absurdity that it just kind of is becoming at this point as it starts to kind of get into like the third act of the movie, which is just like pretty relentless. I. I this movie feels like it goes on forever, um, you know, for better or worse. And it, it's it's two hours, I think. The uh, director's yeah. cut, right? So it is it is a, a longer time to get those, you know, twenty six bodies in there. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it. But I mean, even though it is long, as those body as the body count does start to rack up, it does. I don't. I don't know. I guess it doesn't need to be. It doesn't need to be that long. But I think at least in the last act, it it kind of gives it a reason to, you know, it's like what, 35 minutes or something like that. It's, it's pretty, pretty, pretty long uh, sequence there because it's like, you know, if you're going to have that, that long without actually being able to get like the big fish that he's after, you know, you might as well be able to get like some crappie along the way for you fishermen out there. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's true. And that's when he takes her to the house, like you mentioned, and, and we see the bodies mm-hmm. and, 
um, kind of a cool scene. She's, you know, running away. She's hiding inside of a wall. She's running away from him, fighting him off really well, pretty much with, uh, with a messed up leg and then getting in the attic with him trying to, uh, you know, to, to tear down, um, the whole house before we have the, the showdown. So if when you guys want to talk about the, the finale here, then we can get into overall thoughts on the film. Yeah, the last like, 15 or 20 minutes of the film is actually my favorite uh, where, you know, Lori is, you know, being pursued. You know, obviously, you know, Michael finally, you know, catches her, you know, carries her back uh, unconsciously, you know, to the Myers house. And I love that whole sequence of her like hiding from him and, uh, you know, just basically trying to escape. I think that's the most effective part uh, of the film to me. Um, and then, uh, you know, uh where, uh, you know, that final showdown, instead of Loomis, uh, you know, staring him down with the gun and, you know, shooting him, you know, three or four times, uh, you know, she shoots him and they go off the ledge. And, uh, you know, I've always just kind of liked the ending. Like, I, I, I know it's left very open-ended and, you know, obviously very open for a sequel. But, uh, you know, that, that whole sequence uh, I've always kind of uh, enjoyed the most uh, of the film. That pool scene? Yeah. Yeah, I dig the pool scene a lot. I think there's a really there's a lot of really good tension built there. She's basically cornered in the bottom of a drained in-ground pool and it's filled with leaves and it gives you like a really nice sense of the season and as Michael, you know, walks towards her menacingly Loomis shows up and puts several bullets in him and he finally drops. You think it's the end or about round about the end. They they get back in the car and you know, you get the whole was that the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, I do believe it was. And then she gets pulled out through the car and then back into the house. She runs for some reason. Um, and then we get like a whole cat and mouse sequence there. Um, and then when they do, uh, they both fall off the balcony at the end of this one, which I thought was pretty cool homage to the end of the, to the, end of the original. Um, and the, the very last shot there where she's, she's got the, the pistol and she's trying to shoot him in the head and she squeezes off like three or four uh, chambers that are empty and then finally just in the nick of time finds the one bullet in there and then you know roll roll credits i thought that was a really cool way to end it actually Me i like too. that i'll force that why not i thought i do it's a good edit <laughs> <laughs> no yeah it's a good edit uh right as on far as thoughts on the movie i kind of want to go first here um this one like i talked about it's been six six or seven years since i've seen it always just you know bundle it in as you know a remake you know obviously you can watch the original and second one and fourth one and skip over these ones because they make it redneck and stupid but um there's definitely something more than that to me i think now i would put this one above five above halloween uh two by Rob Zombie. And then, I mean, I probably put this one above six, to be honest. I, I think I liked it a lot more than I did. So it's, it's bumping up from the, from the very bottom, uh, for me, just because I like Michael. I like how he, how he is in opposing force, how he's extremely scary when, you know, when he's attacking, he's killing people brutally. He's, um, a real unstoppable force. And it makes sense that a six, nine, 300 pound dude could take five bullets as opposed to, um, Nick Castle, like in the previous ones. So, uh, it does make more sense there. Obviously, like we talked about beginning kills it. Uh, some of the scenes, especially in the director's cut, you know, obviously could be lost, but there, there's a good movie here and there's definitely a good second half of it, um, w with the finale. So I may rewatch this one again. Uh, I'm not sure I can say the same about the next one here. We're going to talk about shortly, but what do you guys think? Uh, man, you know, 
I, I kind of will echo you. Uh, the more, you know, I, I kind of think about, like, sitting down with, like, the directors of all the Halloween movies and who you would actually want to talk about their films with. You would want to talk to Rob Zombie. You know, I think that you would want to get dinner and talk about this movie with him. So I would definitely put this above five. I would put this above Resurrection, of course. I would put this above two. And I definitely think now, even though I really like the producer's cut, just because it's stupid and weird and out there in 90s and just dumb. I don't know. I kind of like that. Um, I would probably put it above that one, too, um, even though this one is two hours long. It, it, I mean, I don't know. I just am kind of on the fence about the length of it. But I, I think, you know, the individual scenes of it is, is what makes it. And I think there's a handful of them that really work um, with the big chunk of the end of it. So I don't know. How many does that put it over? Did I put it over four of them, right? Yeah. Yep. So, and there's what, I 11 mean, movies? Almost in the top half. And so there's 11 yep. movies. So, oh shit, maybe I, I, no, I definitely wouldn't put it over the, the new one, but. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> no, I definitely wouldn't. But yeah, so it's all right. It's okay. Especially, you know, even like this conversation kind of helps, kind of sways me a little bit. I think it's a good, it's cool to kind of sit back and listen to you guys think about it as well because it is easy to say fuck this movie it's redneck it's stupid it's whatever but there's some good shit there too uh that you wouldn't want to actually just outright dismiss especially on a filmmaking level so but definitely not just just fast forward 30 minutes in then it's only 90 minutes hey that's a good idea (laughs) yeah i think probably my biggest critique of this movie is like the best stuff in it is the stuff he's paying homage to in the original. Most of the stuff that Rob Zombie adds in this is the weakest parts for me. Like all the, all the background with the family and Michael Myers, his like troubled upbringing. And then like seeing him with Loomis, um, in the institution and, and like even seeing his breakout, um, which is very brutal and just unnecessary. All that stuff is like added in and I feel like it was skipped for a reason because it doesn't really need to be there. I don't really know that it adds a whole lot. I mean, maybe there are some people that'll watch this movie and they can relate in some way to the first half of it. Um, but I don't know that that's how the vast majority of people would react when watching this. Um, this, so that's really like my biggest critique. I think Rob Zombie is an interesting person. Um, I, I like, a decent amount of his music for, for whatever reason, I have a hard time like really clicking with his movies. Um, you know, whenever you get through the first hour of this and here we are finally seeing like Halloween as you want to see Halloween and Michael Myers is brutalizing people on Halloween night. There's some cool stuff there for sure. Like I would revisit the second half of this movie if it weren't for having to get through the first half. (laughs) It's just, it's so much to wade through and in the end, I don't think the juice is worth the squ- the squeeze for me to, to sit through the whole thing again. Um, I like seeing all the cameos of, of the cool horror movie actors pop up in this. That's really cool. Um, but other than that, like the, the, the size and the brutality of Michael Myers, I think that that is kind of new to this movie. Um, Rob Zombie did add that, and I think that was smart. I, I like what he did with that. Um, there's a couple like twists on some of the like classic kill sequences and just classic scenes from the first movie that are, I, I think they're smart. I think they're well done. Um, 
I don't know. It's it's still pretty low on my list. I don't know. Ooh. I'd probably rather watch Ooh. Halloween Resurrection because it's funny. That's like, true. Like I can at least laugh at that. This is not funny at all. Yeah. This is serious as a heart attack, man. It is. Um, and it's long as shit. Um, so I I don't know. I, I'd. It's towards the bottom of the list for me. It, it might oh. be at the bottom of the list for me, actually. So yeah. <laughs> Um, I know I was like supposed to defend this movie and then I watched it again and I was like fuck I don't know if I can no no that's fine that's fine sorry guys um, I let you down kind of echoing uh, all of y'all's sentiments as well uh, I've definitely never loved uh, this version uh, I definitely like parts of it um, you know I you know like you said Cole there are definitely certain scenes and certain aspects of the film that are really strong like you know uh as we've all agreed, like the second half of the film is far superior to the first, uh, you know, Michael, once he's back in Haddonfield, once he's pursuing Lori, uh, that stuff is all great. Um, you know, but God, it's, it's the first half that gets me every time. Like I, I don't need to know about Michael's white trash, troubled upbringing. Um, he's always been more scarier, uh, when he's unknown, you know, he's this just evil force that kills for no reason or rhyme. I don't need to know that he killed animals as a kid and, you know, had a stripper mom. And that's why he's so fucked up. Like, I don't need that. <laughs> I don't want it. Um, you know, and, um, you know, based on just the other entries in the series, like for that reason, like I just I, I don't like just this origin level backstory that we just do not need. Um, and most fans of the series do not want, you know, and straight up like Rob Zombie will never be everyone's cup of tea. Like he's a very divisive filmmaker. You either love him or hate him. Uh, he has a very unique style and vision, uh, that, you know, pretty much most people are not a huge fan of. Um, but you know, with, with this one, like I, I definitely think that, you know, he does some good stuff and he does, uh, you know, bring some tension in the second half and really brings uh, a brutal portrayal of Michael to the screen that we've never seen before. Um, and, and for that, I, I, I really do enjoy it and I can continue to watch uh, over the years. Um, I think this is definitely above five uh, resurrection and two, which we're about to get into. Uh, but I definitely don't think it goes any higher than anything else. Um, you know, I still like, you know, six, we've talked about uh you know even though the new one uh from 2018 has its flaws i still appreciate it a little more than this but uh you know for the most part um you know uh i'm ready to rip to a new one but uh one i can still get behind a little bit so well that's a good segue we'll let bob kick off uh halloween 2 here with the synopsis but before i do i would want to mention this because i'm going to forget it uh Carpenter's themes were in Halloween, but Tyler Bates helped score it. And randomly, this guy is all over the place. He started out, he did Tammy and the T-Rex. He did Slither. He did a bunch of stuff with James Gunn and Zack Snyder doing Dawn of the Dead, all the Rob, Zombie, uh, Rob Zombie's movies. But then he gets into Sucker Punch. He gets into Guardians of the Galaxy. He gets into John Wick, Belko Experiment, Atomic Blonde, Deadpool 2, 
Fast and the Furious, Hobbs and Shaw. So kind of crazy. Guy got his start in horror and really blew up from there and obviously does a lot with, uh, I think, Marilyn Manson. Too. Yeah, I was about to say, I think I know him from Marilyn Manson's music originally. And then he just became big as like a, as a uh, composer in film. I love that, though. Yeah, I like Marilyn Manson. So like, I was, you know, um, yeah, I don't know. I, that, I was thinking that whenever you were saying that, but... Um, I wasn't sure, so I guess we know now. All right, Bob, let us know about Halloween uh, too. Good luck describing what the fuck's going on in this one. Yeah, good luck. Yeah, yeah, I'll try. <laughs> uh, so this movie sort of picks up exactly where the first movie leaves off, um, which is kind of neat, paying homage to uh the original Halloween too. Uh, we see Laurie Strode sort of walking, hobbling down the middle of the street on Halloween night, covered in blood. Um, Annie's uh, dad, the sheriff sort of like picks her up, um, takes the gun out of her hands, takes her to the hospital. She, uh, you know, she gets doctored up. Um, we see her sort of like wake up and hobble over to Annie's room. Um, and, you know, of course, uh, Michael comes in the hospital and, you know, slaughters the hospital staff. Um, she runs out to the guard shack. He kills the guard. It's, it's very brutal, tense scene. Um, and, uh, as, as Lori is killed, uh, she wakes up, she comes to, apparently it's just a dream very long sequence, dream sequence. Uh, which was an interesting later. choice. So you're for not sure. exactly sure. Like maybe, maybe did it happen? Right. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's up for debate. Uh, was it a sort of a flashback dream, or was it completely fabricated? She was also apparently dreaming about a lot of people that were not her doing a lot of things, which we can talk about that later, I guess. Uh, so the movie, as it actually is, is is uh, we find out that Lori is now living with Annie, who did not die in the original movie, and uh, her dad, the sheriff, and... Um, and uh, Annie and Lori are both sort of dealing with like PTSD, like severe PTSD um, over the events of, of, you know, dealing with Michael Myers. Um, Lori's uh, going to see a therapist and we get a little insight um, uh, through those interactions. Um, uh, Michael, uh, of course, comes back to Haddonfield on Halloween and just lays waste to everybody, uh, Loomis, uh, his character develops a little bit throughout this movie. Uh, he's released a book um, about uh, Michael Myers, and uh, he's, he's doing, like, book signing events. Um, <laughs> he runs into Linda's father, who pulls a gun on him and tries to, to kill him. Uh, Lo- Loomis's character is just, like, really everybody is just, like, far more, <laughs> like, unlikable, evil, just, like, just say. mean in this movie than they are in the first movie. Just, yeah, just, like, it's hard to get behind and support any of these characters, really. I mean, Annie, I guess you can. Annie's fine. Um, but, yeah, Loomis is just doesn't give a shit about anybody. He's out to make a buck. He's like a he secondary very story, well known to his like publicist. his whole thing um, in the movie so, is just, like, jump cut to Loomis, jump yeah. cut to Loomis, jump cut to Loomis, and it's, like, nothing to do with it. And even in the end, it's just barely, barely there. It's a really yeah, weird character he, and how he, they decided he, to do that. Yeah, he barely has any association, like, with, with the main story. Like, yeah. he, he's just kind of thrust into the last five minutes, like, of the film. <laughs> He, yeah, quite literally imposes himself on the climax, which is bizarre, and we will talk about. Um, 
but yeah, so um, um, these characters are just sort of like living life. Uh, we we see Lori. Um, Lori kind of starts having visions as well as Michael. Michael starts having visions. Um, some of those visions uh, overlap. Uh, Michael Michael sees uh, visions of his mom. He sees visions of himself Ugh. as a kid, and he also sees a white horse. And uh, Lori sees the same. Lori sees the same things, and uh, we sort of uh, get the sense that that Lori and Michael are connected in some way that we is not really defined in the movie, um, uh, but they're definitely like connected mentally, spiritually. I, I don't really know. Uh, Lori, uh, after Loomis puts his book out, Lori reads it and finds out that she is indeed Michael Myers' sister, and her name is Angel. Um, uh, Annie's dad, the sheriff, I guess after the... Uh, uh, the events of the first movie had taken her and like um, dropped her off in a neighboring hospital or something like that. And then she was uh, uh, adopted by the Strodes and she didn't really know any of that. It was kept secret. Um, so she finds all that out. It's very devastating to her. They go to like this crazy uh, rager Halloween party. Her and a couple of her friends do uh, Michael strikes, of course. Um, and we kind of like have this, this mega huge climax uh, towards the end of the movie uh, where Lori is abducted by Michael Myers and he takes her out to his little like shack in the middle of nowhere. Um, and the cops show up, there's, you know, choppers on the scene. Um, the news is there, it's being televised. It's it's a, it's a whole thing. And that's when Loomis is watching the TV. He sees on the news what's going down. He's like, you know, he, he feels somewhat responsible. So he sure, hauls ass and shows up too. on the scene. <laughs> um, he gets, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he pulls a gun. He lays him out and pulls a gun on him. Uh, and Loomis pretends like he's going to leave and then just runs up to the shack and lets himself in. He's, you know, in, in his mind, he's doing the right thing. He's, he's He knows that he can get Lori out of there. So he walks in there, and it's uh, it's a, it's quite a scene. Um, so we see Michael Myers, adult Michael Michael Myers, standing there, and his, his mother, uh, played by Sharon Moon Zombies, uh, standing behind him and Lori's on the ground being held down by child Michael Myers. Loomis walks in. Loomis only sees adult Michael and Lori on the ground and he's sort of beckoning Lori. He's like, come with me. I will get you out of here. She And she just keeps saying he's holding me down and he doesn't understand what the fuck is happening because from what he can see, nobody's holding her down. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, so at Michael, grown up Michael, eventually tackles Loomis through the wall um and uh he pulls his mask off we have and we, we have uh, we see his beautiful Myers. big yeah, beard and he says grizzly michael myers we do hobo transient michael myers we do uh, <laughs> i like that one uh he he's, he looks at loomis and says die and then stabs him uh michael gets shot up like like lit up by the cops uh, Lori then walks out, picks up the knife, and she goes to stab Loomis, and the cops shoot her. And then uh, the last scene of the movie, uh, we see Lori in a white room. She's sitting on a bed, and she has a vision of a white horse coming towards her, and, of course, the ghost of her mother is coming towards us. And I guess we're just left to assume that they are now all a family unit once again in the afterlife or purgatory or hell or however you want to read into this situation. So, I like it. That's man. sort of the, so, uh, the, the rough plot. I don't plot know if you guys right uh, have seen in a while because like the only mass release anymore, I think of Halloween too, I think I touched on a little bit earlier is only the director's cut. Uh, you know, I like in, in all the sets and all of the major blue releases, They've only released the director's cut. I actually uh, went uh, on YouTube today after I watched uh, the mm. second one and watched the theatrical ending. 
and it's definitely a lot different. Um, you know, first of all, uh, you know, Michael is much more brutal to Loomis, like stabs him like 30 times to where there's no doubt that, uh, he's dead. Um, and then, uh, the cops shoot Michael through the window while still in the shack. He gets impaled on this like rebarb or whatever. And then Lori basically goes over there and makes peace with Michael as he dies. Um, you know, basically saying like, I love you, Michael, or I love you brother or whatever. And then walks out of the shack with Michael's mask on her. Uh, doesn't get shot up. Doesn't die. Uh, is just kind of left, uh, you know, in the field with all these cops and, you know, bracket and whatever looking on. And then we fade to the same scene uh, from the director's cut of her in, you know, like a hospital or mental institution. But this implies that she's not dead. Like she's actually in a mental institution. She sees her mom and the white horse, white horse walking toward her, mm. which basically means she's gone crazy. Like, you know, she's now the new, I guess, lineage of this Myers family curse, I guess you could say. Um, <clears throat> you know, so definitely a few differences uh, from theatrical t- to, you know, director's version. I was going to say, I wonder where Rob Zombie would take Halloween 3D, which is supposed to happen in 2012, but got canceled. And actually, uh, I don't know if you guys have heard, but there's a book by a couple of guys called Taking Shape that talks about how all the, the stories came to be. And just, I think it was two days ago, or October 14th, they released Taking Shape 2, the Lost Halloween sequels, and I actually just picked it up. It's going to be here Friday, but it goes over all of the scripts that were supposed to be that didn't happen. So, like, you know, alternate Halloween 3, Halloween 666, produced by Quentin Tarantino. We got two different uh, stabs at a 3d sequel in the Rob zombie era. So I'm excited to see um, how that goes, but it's interesting to hear about the, uh, the difference there. I kind of like the, the ending that, that you mentioned better um, than this one, which is kind of weird. Like it doesn't make it seem like Lori's crazy yet. She picks up the knife to kill Loomis after the fact, and it looks like she gets killed, but kind of leaves it open. But yeah, just, just yeah. All over the place, man. And the white horse thing I think is what really kills this one for me. Um, there could be some kind of, you know, movie without that, that may be a little bit better, but, um, I like Lori's descent into madness in this one, man. She runs out of her drugs. You talked about the telepathic or some kind of connection similar to Jamie Lloyd, where she just kind of starts going crazy, um, takes all of her meds, goes to see her psychiatrist and has like the craziest scene. She plays crazy so well in this, like Tyler, like you talked about last, uh, uh, movie. She just goes absolutely nuts. She just fuck you, you bitch to her therapist, you know, runs off, then finds out right after that, that, you know, she's, uh, Michael Myers sister and has this whole thing. But, um, I just want to touch on one point at the beginning that was really creepy. I think it's Richard Brake plays it, but they have the ambulance crash, uh, where it's these two, uh, I don't know if they're like police officers or, or what they're doing, but they strap Michael Myers yeah, they're just like, they're, they're like I think they're just delivering like the bodies. I think it's, that's yeah. yeah. Like so that. he's they strap Michael in. Richard Brake's like, man. oh man, do you see uh, Linda's tits, man? I've never thought about this before, but yeah, you know, I just love to fuck her. Like I heard, you know, some buddies of mine that fucked corpses, and you're like, like why? And then they they crash and and get killed, which is which is kind of kind of a nice scene. Obviously, we could talk about the kills later, but. Um, 
I would also like to add very quickly that that, that is this true. is Lori dreaming all of this. Dream by the way. Like Michael Myers, like got knocked over and ran away or something, because that would make a whole lot yeah. more sense. Because she seriously dreamed like forty, like thirty minutes at a hospital scene with some great stuff that yeah. supposedly never happened. So then, like, is all the hospital employees still alive in real life? So here's here's my view on that. Uh, Lori's dream was of just the hospital scenes. Like, I believe that Michael, you know, they crashed into that cow. He escaped from the car, started walking toward his first vision that he sees of the white horse and his mom or whatever. That was all reality. And then we pick up on the dream of her waking up. And, that makes sense. And the, and the massacre that occurred uh, at the hospital, kind of the recreation of Halloween 2, the original Halloween 2, if you will. Um, that's what I've always kind of thought. Uh, you know, he escaped from the ambulance just fine. Uh, that was still reality. And then, and then we cut to a dream sequence, but that's just my view. I like it. And when you guys talk about brutal from the first one, this one amps it up to a million. Like we get Octavia Spencer playing Octavia Daniels, <laughs> oddly enough, but I love when someone like this that now has, you know, multiple Oscars, uh, you know, has such a bit part. She's there. She gets her like nose and lip cut, which is really a weird thing. Like he just slashed at her. Um, and then he stabs her like 11 times as hard as you possibly can stab a knife. Like I'm sure it's through bone and cartilage. And I just have like maybe like a 60 second scene of him just annihilating her. And they have that multiple times where he kills someone and just, I'm going to stab them into oblivion. Um, obviously we have another scene that we didn't mention, but a great scene at the, uh, the strip club where his mom supposedly worked, where Michael comes back to, uh, enact revenge on everyone there. And, um, like I said, I haven't seen these movies in a while, but you can kind of see where Danny green wanted to pick up pieces on everything. You get the head crush that he recreated later and, and you get some other cool scenes there. But yeah, this, uh, this thing is just like Rob Zombie's concert scene that he wanted to do just cool costumes, cool Halloween stuff, Halloween moments. And then Michael Myers just kills, you know, the guy uh, that their friend is hooking up with and her, and then that's it. And they go home drunk. It's like, what's the whole point of that? There's like, you didn't need to have that in there. No, this is, this is full on Rob Zombie, like excessive violence, like white trash elements, like the crazy jump editing that he loves to do in all of his films. I mean, this is, this is his baby, man. Like, you know, he he was definitely held back on, you know, the first Halloween, uh, you know, by the producers, you know, by the Weinsteins or whatever. But, you know, this film, he was given pretty much free reign to, you know, pretty much do what he wanted. And I mean, he he did it like, you know, while I'm not a fan of it. Like, I mean, this is this is his movie. Like, this is his vision. Uh, he didn't have a template to follow. He didn't have a format that he had to follow. I mean, this this is pure Rob Zombie, man. Like, you know, and while I hate the white horse angle, I think that's so cliched and stupid. Um, you know, and while I hate the film as a whole, like I have to give it to Rob Zombie for trying, you know, something different, like something new, like his vision. Um, you know, and, and, and for that, I give him props. Is it my cup of tea? Absolutely not. But you know, I still got to give him props, you know, Man. Yeah, I agree with you that th this is like definitely all Rob Zombie here. And I, I kind of, a, I like this movie better than the first one actually because of that. Like the, the white horse and, and, you know, whatever, whatever's going on with that. Like 
is silly and I don't particularly love it, but at least like what's happening in this movie feels more consistent than in the original where we're getting all this backstory and information about Michael Myers and like the psychology going on there. And, but it's, it's all very like inconsistent. And I feel like at the end of the movie, you don't really know, is he, is he a person that just decided to kill people? Is he a psychopath? Is he some sort of monster? Is he the antichrist? Like, I don't know what he is. And this, at least like, you know, that there's some psychological stuff happening at least, if not some like legit, uh, spiritual stuff happening and like some sort of mental link between him and his sister and that they're both like having visions of their mother. Like that is weird for sure. And seems like a bizarre choice for a Halloween movie, but it's at least consistent throughout this movie. And you kind of have a better idea of what you're dealing with here. And I also like, I should probably say that like, uh, uh, Lords of Salem is my favorite Rob zombie movie. And this, you kind of see the beginnings of that, which he makes later. It's sort of like percolating here with some of like the more bizarre, dream sequences where like Lori's laying on a table and there's like these random people sitting at it with masks like they're about to eat her or something it's just like weird stuff like that i don't know it 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 feels it feels like he he just essentially said like fuck it i'm gonna do whatever i feel like doing and which is i think what he wanted to do with the first one is just he's now able to do so um, cool? Man, i don't know i like I that just- I like that I about the so movie. I'm so glad you guys have so much to say about this movie because I <laughs> do not give a shit about it. I know that sounds just so, I mean, it's dismissive. Um, I, I, I tell you what I do give a shit about. Octavia Spencer, and I give a shit about Crazy Lori. And I guess on a pure gonzo level, if I was with all you guys in person and we could all, quote, die together at the same time, that would be fun. But um, other than that, um, I really think, you know, I'm all about, you know, art over commerce, but um, this is one time where some studio notes I think could have been um, handy, but honestly, it wouldn't have saved the movie. <laughs> it wouldn't have saved the movie at all. Um, it just was what it was, and it exists, and that's fine. Um, I think after seeing it, I've seen it two times in my life. Um, I think that's it, man. I, that's it. I <laughs> I just no, I, I, I said today. I watched it today. I think that was like the fourth time I've seen it. I, I think this is the final, the final viewing for me. The final Friday. Um, no, <laughs> it it should be the final Friday. Um, you know it. Uh, you, you'll rewatch it when they finish the the uh, the trilogy, the new trilogy, and you got to watch all of them again one last oh, time. Oh Lord. <laughs> I don't. I don't even know if I can bring myself to do that. But. Uh, well, one day you'll watch it with your daughters, and you'll show them. This <laughs> I will never show my daughters the Rob Zombie versions, ever. We'll oh, we'll stick with no. like one, two, and and, and four, and H two O. I'm not adding good. much to the discussion uh, in that respect right now. But yeah, I mean, look, man, this movie. It's um, that white horse thing is what I think. Really, I mean. It, it, it jumps the shark like completely with it. And it's so funny to watch him try. And I, I don't know. I don't like to be a dick about it, but it is funny to watch him try. Um, and it, it's just so bad, so bad in so many ways. But I, um, it would be cool to bring someone on the podcast who this is their favorite Halloween movie. That's what I was saying uh, before about uh, other movies like Resurrection. Um, I would love that. Like, this is my Michael Myers. Like, it, I wonder if there's anybody out there 
this is just so oh, yeah. speculative, who is like, oh, I saw, I grew up with the original Halloween, and then I saw Halloween 2, and now this, oh, no. this is my Michael Myers. Like, there's got to be something. No, so, someone whose favorite would be is like someone who grew up a diehard Rob Zombie fan, watched the first one as their first Halloween, yes, okay. and just dug it, dug it for what it was, and then liked this one because, man, just the plot too. Like, I just don't even know. Like, Lori works at a, like, is that a bookshop or yeah, something? It's a shop. Record yeah, it's store. Like a coffee shop. And, they have these scenes where they're just talking about like the man and this and that. And her friends are like, yeah, you should What's party. This? And it's just completely weird and pointless. And then Sheriff's Brackett's house is like, uh, looks like Motley Cruz, like, you know, place they live when they started or something. It just whole house is completely fucked up. And this is where your sheriff lives. And it has like, you know, rock and roll posters all over it and writing. It's like, bitch, keep this side clean of, of her in the, in the mirror, in her bathroom. Yeah. And just such a weird thing. Like she's living with him. And then, you know, they have kind of a, a Daniel Harrison or have kind of a tense relationship because she's like, you're not the only one who got fucked up. Like, first of all, I got fucked up worse than you did. So you need to quit being a bitch about it. You know, it's not, I'm not letting it ruin my life. Um, you know, so there's some funny scenes there, yeah. but I mean, we didn't really get into hobo Michael Myers who just appears out of nowhere. And they have this scene where these hunters are there and they're like, man, this hobo keeps stealing my food. We're going to beat him up. And they let him beat him up. And then he just, you know, loses it. I don't know if it's cause they said something or, or I, I can't recall what happens, but he gets up, kills, you know, all three of them and eats the dog at the same time that I think something else is happening. If it, what is it like? Bracket they start eating, eating the pizza. pizza. <laughs> Just, Bracket, is, Bracket is eating a meat lover's pizza while he's chowing down on a dog. But, mm-hmm. but like, well, what else about it? Like the girls are like, Oh, get me a gluten free pizza and make sure it's no veggies yeah. and no killing meat. I'm like, why do you have? <laughs> yeah. Lori, Lori's eating the pizza at the same time, and as he bites into the another dog is when she runs to the, the bathroom to vomit. Yeah. So there's like another yeah, layer of like them being connected. Free, just throwing yeah. there for, for no reason at all, too. And then you go to the party with the new characters who you don't <laughs> care about, and there's no point to them, and they're just a you know plot device to get her to go there and then come home where um, you know Michael's finally uh, taken out Annie in the worst possible way. And Sheriff Brackett's got to see her brutalized a second time, butt ass naked in the bathroom floor that just looks like it got annihilated by a blood machine. So, yeah. Lori, an interesting thing about Lori's character is she actually insists on going yeah. to the party. Her friends are like, we should probably just stay in because you are losing your fucking mind. And she's like, no, I've been a good girl my whole life. I want a party. I'm fine. So it's sort of like, it, it makes sense in like the first movie. She's allegedly some sort of like golden child, even though it's confusing in the dialogue. But yeah, there's some sort of character evolution supposed to be taking place here in the second movie. And it they is. go to the Halloween party, which may not serve much purpose, but it's kind of badass, right? I would want to go yes. to that party. Um, Captain Clegg is the band playing, which Rob Zombie recorded an entire record of this band or produced yeah, it. I don't know awesome. what he did. He, he helped him make a record. It's the, not bad, man. What, Check what, it out. What do you Captain say? Clegg. Like, what's the similarities of Blonde and a Jack-O-Lantern? And he talks about them being hollow. And then he goes, no, they both have three holes. <laughs> He's so crude and his yeah. jokes are just Yeah. Everyone looks fucking wasted at that party. <laughs> By the it's, way. It's um, brutal. It looked like, look like a fun time though. I'm yeah, with you there. Yeah. Um True. I want to go back to the White Horse just for a second. Like, you know, 
it would be okay if Zombie just kind of like threw elements of that like here and there. But God, he beats you over the head with this fucking white horse like over and over and over. And like, I don't know about you, but I've never really been a fan of Sherry Moon Zombie. Like, I don't understand why he has to cast her in every single film that he does. I don't. Uh, well, well, yeah, obviously. But she like, needs something to do. He loves but her. Like, That's why. You know, like you, you don't need to cast her in every single film you make. Like, and and you know, particularly in this film, I don't think she's very good. I think her her performance is very, very hollow, very just kind of cliche, mm-hmm. like ghost Mama Myers, like haunting you know Lori type thing, and I don't think it works at all um and i hate that aspect uh of the film uh a lot um and uh yeah every time that she and that white horse appear on screen i just i just roll my eyes i i can't i can't take it so what did you guys think I about the whole rabbit and red know, sequence we've always been hinted in the series about the rabbit and red lounge. Uh, you know, <laughs> the first time we ever saw it, uh, was when Loomis, you know, was driving in the rain in the very first film, you know, we saw the rabbit, the rabbit and red matchbook. Um, so we kind of finally got to see the place that's been hinted at a lot over the years, but, uh, God, that, uh, that whole sequence is just, uh, he just mows them down, uh, one by one, whether it be, smashing heads or breaking forearms or whatever he's just uh yeah he just he just goes to town on them is that supposed to be where she stripped though is that the deal right yes because mm-hmm. i love those character names too they just have a they even try to like throw them in there like yeah you get the guy his name's lou martini who plays like frankenstein randomly and you see him at a part of it and then he's like talking to one of the strippers and then they're just <laughs> shitting on this guy um who goes out to take the trash out and tries to act like a tough guy and just gets yeah he gets his head stomped in like five or ten times and then gets hung up by the uh the lights and then when he goes in and you know lou martini's trying to be a tough guy and he just yeah breaks his arm bashes his head and then he the the over gratuitous scene stripper's name is misty dawn and he smashes her head 11 times into the mirror it's like they just beat it to a complete pulp just total overkill on every single kill um that you have there so i guess that kind of shows you know shows him but i just don't understand where he's been for the past few years while everyone's healing and he's being a a hobo and then decides to come back in this particular Halloween. I don't know if they mentioned that, if it's like a anniversary or if it's just, you know, maybe he was somewhere else killing people and then decided to come back. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. I'm I'm not really sure. Some, something that I find interesting in these two movies is it seems that nobody's ever really afraid of of Michael Myers. Like, unless you know who he is, like th- like this random guy taking the trash out at, at the Rabbit and Red is you know th- Michael Myers is massive. He's he a huge, a hobo. He's imposing like, figure, you, you and th- he's dude's just like here, talking hobo. mad <laughs> trash to him. Yeah, yeah, just like people, nobody's afraid of this guy, even though he's like lurking in the shadows and obviously much larger than you. Um, I don't, yeah, so he, yeah, he just brutalizes that guy. I like this whole sequence. I think though, yeah, it's a little, it's probably, yeah, it just is excessive. Uh, it it is, uh, but I like that we finally get to see the club. I think that's kind of like a cool little homage there. 
Um, I think the club owner is like this like classic sleazy guy making terrible jokes and shit, and he's dressed up like Frankenstein. It's goofy. It's funny. It's silly. I think if I think if he would have like drawn the brutality in a little bit, it I would have enjoyed it a little more. Um, I like it for what it is, though. <laughs> about you that know, scene it, with it's, the dude it's, about to get it's just kind of cool to see that club finally. Like- yeah, I got a lot of uh, you know tail in this van before, and it's a shagging wagon. You can tell he's a he's a virgin, and so like she's ready to do it. And she's like, <laughs> oh, I gotta go pee because he's like scared or something, and gets killed before he can have sex for the first time. Yeah, so that's pretty brutal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they start talking in the van, and she's just like, you know what? Yeah, yeah talking isn't working, like, and starts making out with him. That's like, pretty I funny. Gotta, I gotta go pee. So uh, I guess let's dive into uh, the next part. Uh, let's dissect a little bit more into the characters and, and actors of the film. Uh, let's start off with Malcolm McDowell's uh, Dr. Loomis in this one. Uh, this movie uh, completely bastardizes uh, the character of Loomis. Uh, any redeeming factors that Malcolm McDowell brought uh, toward the character in the first film is completely thrown out the window in in this one. He is out for fame, he is out for money, and he's out for ass because he hits on every single female that he comes into contact with. Um, God, and Loomis has always been my favorite character in this entire franchise, and just to see him paraded out there like just a fucking prick, uh, it it's it 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 hurts. I'm not gonna lie. I I, I hate. <laughs> I hate the portrayal in this film, um, and uh, yeah, this is not my Loomis at all. How about Chris, how about Chris Hardwick? He's in mm-hmm. he's in the Devil's Rejects, and in this one, he plays a talk show host who's got Weird Al on, and they bring Loomis out to talk about his book, and they make a fool of that, a fool of him, and he's so pissed because he's like, you know, you're making fame on, on these people's thing, and you know, it's just such a weird scene, like writing that, like. Hey, let me bring back this guy who is now like a huge host of, you know, Talking Dead, um, you know, of, of the Walking Dead after show fame now. But just let's have Weird Al on here and just have him in there. They just, yeah, you're right. They totally bastardize him. And all of those scenes are just randomly placed in. It's like every 15 minutes we got to have a Loomis scene doing his book tour, doing the thing. I like that. I like that. Uh, what's his name? You said the, the dad of um, which character is that? Linda? Yeah, where he comes out with a gun. It's a great scene because he got a crazy person at the beginning, and then he comes in like, "Yeah, these people yeah, are crazy." Yeah. And he puts a picture of his daughter in there and starts talking to him, and then pulls a gun out. It's just, yeah, that's a that's a cool scene. Someone trying to actually take it into their own hands that you know you're probably responsible somewhat for this, and now you're profiting off of it by you know having this huge book tour and making all this money doing it. And those sunglasses that he has in his billboard, such a douchebag. Mm-hmm. Douchebag Loomis for sure. I, I I think he was kind of a dick in in part one, but he's definitely like ramped up, like does not yeah. care about anybody at all until the very end of the movie. And Loomis, it, is and the then best he tries to help, about, and then gets you know, murdered. The whole rest it's of the franchise. So I think Tyler, it's Brad, a bad character. A bad taste sure. in fans of the rest of it, like this guy with six, you know, five movies under his belt. That is, you know, the main lead character in a couple of those. You're just making a douchebag for no reason. Like you, you could make him want fame a little bit, but still care about people. But yeah, when he's at the house talking to the reporter, he goes, "Yeah, I could stay a couple of extra days if a story or person, you know, intrigued me." And then, you know, even his publicist is like, "You're being a douchebag," and he's like, 
bitch, go back to the car and goes and talks to her again right after that. It's just so random. Um, so yeah, Scott Taylor Compton comes back, uh, once again as Laurie Strode. Uh, and if she gave a hell of a performance in the first one, uh, this one, she, uh, just throws herself into the role. Uh, she is the ultimate, uh, depressed, bipolar, uh, PTSD. I mean, any, anything and everything you want to talk about a, a, a character going through, uh, Scout Taylor Compton goes through it uh, in this film. Uh, she is absolutely hysterical uh, this go around uh, as Lori. And I think she's even better in this one than she is the first. Uh, she just brings uh, just, she is completely fucked and damaged uh, beyond repair uh, in this film, especially toward the end uh, of the film where she just kind of like, you know, lets it all go. Um, but yeah, she, like, once again, she is one of the best parts, uh, acting wise, uh, of these films. And, uh, and I really dig, uh, her performance. I feel like she's, uh, she kind of, I mean, even though in passing, she mentioned she's still a good girl, uh, she's way past a good girl, uh, in this film. She is, uh, she is deeply troubled and deeply, uh, just, just down a black hole at this point. Do you like the white horse Rorschach painting in the uh, psychiatrist's office? It has the, the two white horses on it, and it's like, what is that? Like, whatever you want it to be. I'm like, really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, they had someone yeah, else right. play Michael Myers. Do you get it? Too, and white, white horses horse are a theme. Do you like, get it? you a present. You know, always think of mommy and think of the white horse. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Um. And uh, I do like uh, Brad Dorff's uh, portrayal Got in this it. movie a little bit more. He actually has a lot more to do uh, in this film than he did uh, in the first one. He's definitely a much more protective, like of Laurie and you know Annie and 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 stuff like that. Um, and really tries to you know protect Laurie from the truth. Um, but you know, kind of acts like that that father figure that she needs uh, at that time, even though like it doesn't help uh, eventually. But uh, you know, still like his portrayal uh, of of Brackett, definitely a much more involved version than uh, Charles Cyphers ever was uh, in the original. <laughs> I, I feel bad when he's smoking cigarettes, though, and not like just hanging out, not protecting his daughter. He sends like, you know, doofus over there to stand out there with a shotgun. And then he gets a call and he's, oh, she's going to smell the smoke on me. And it's like the police call came from your house. And then obviously that scene is just kind of heartbreaking. But his the only thing I thought was weird about his performance is when he sees his daughter, he tries to like really put on like a Tony Collette, uh, you know, a hereditary moment, and it just it doesn't work. But everything else about him I do like. But that one scene where he's like, "No," it just you can tell it's not. They probably just filmed it one or two times and put it in the can. Yeah, it's a little it's a little rough. I think it <laughs> lands for the most part emotionally, but they probably should have cut a little bit of that out. It y- you feel like he's not there a hundred percent. Like maybe trim it out a little bit. Um, it's a little bit of a role reversal too. Whenever you're 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 talking about the sheriff smoking marijuana and saying like, "Oh, she's gonna smell it on me." It's like a sort of a callback to I the like original that, like Halloween the where they're smoking in the car and with the. I didn't I even realize that. that was the Red Rabbit Lounge. So that's a cool that's a cool piece yeah. throwing it in there. 
I mean, I'm kind of excited to see in the new movies what they do to call back all of these. Because, I mean, I think in the newest one, they kind of overdid the callbacks, which we'll talk about, um, you know, later on in a future episode. But I'm kind of curious to see, you know, how they continue those. Because some of them are fun, but they could probably cut back a few of them. Uh, I guess lastly, the only really other character worth mentioning is, you know, Daniel Harris is, is back uh, as Annie. And, uh, you know, very... Uh, very physically uh, and and mentally uh, just scarred. Um, you know she's going through a lot just as well as as Lori is. And uh, God, poor poor Annie in these films. She is brutalized more than anyone else. Uh, her her demise in this film is uh, is just absolutely heartbreaking. I I felt like that scene uh, where they showed a young Danielle Harris. Uh, you know was was so cheap, man. Like that that. Like you, if, if you're a fan of the Halloween series, like, you know what she looks like when she was younger, you saw her in the earlier films and just the flash, uh, that, that clip of her, you know, with that little puppy when she's young, like, like that just, that, that totally is cheap. She's like, holding the dog it's too. <laughs> it's cheap, like, you know, sympathy. And, um, I, I absolutely hate that for her. Um, but you know, she uh she's still badass in the movie. Like she doesn't take Lori's shit. Um, you know, kind of bows up to her and, and her dad. Um and and she's still great. Um but uh yeah, after I think what uh I I think Daniel Harris was in four movies, she finally got done in in this one. Yep. She did. Well, yeah, I don't know if you want to talk about any of their characters. Everyone else is just fodder. Uh her friends much. I mean, her friends are awful. <laughs> Yeah, like, Bria like, Grant's in a couple of future horror movies, a lot of indie stuff. Uh, she's the one that gets killed in the, uh, uh, I think in the car, right, or the van. But um, I guess we could talk about Michael, which we get more. Like we talked about Mountain Man, Hobo, but just kind of same amped up, uh, you know, character from before. I think a scene that really sets it off, which is technically a dream, which is where he just completely destroys this guard shack. Like he's looking for her in there. He could probably easily just unlock the door, but instead he just has the fire ax and hacks the entire guard station into pieces, um, trying to get through there to, to kill her. So, I mean, yeah, that's, I think the big takeaway on this is it's cool to have this big Hulk and dude. Like I said, I love when he kills those hunters, he, uh, tosses the guy from lost on top of the, uh, the horns that he has on his truck. So there's some, uh, you know, there's some, there's some, there's some cool stuff with the kills. And I think that's, you know, what someone who's a fan of this movie is probably going to dig. Maybe someone who loves, you know, saws or hostels, just, you know, seeing arms broken and heads stomped in and strippers smashed into mirrors 15 times. Uh, he's definitely much more brutal, uh, in, in this film than he was the first, uh, you know, as we've talked about, like Rob Zombie loves the excess, uh, violence and Tyler Maine just like takes it to a new level. Like, you know, every single kill that he does in this film, like you can just hear him, like just that, like fucking grunting noise that he makes. He's just like, it's just like every single time he kills someone in this movie, like he just gets into it, man. Like really into it. Um, but uh, no, I've I've never really been a big fan of hobo mountain man Michael Myers. I feel like once you've got into this point, like you're not Michael Myers anymore. Like you're just kind of this serial killer drifter type thing. Like I know he still has the mask, but uh, yeah, this 
this version of Michael is about as far from Michael as as you can get at this point, in my opinion. Another cool mask, though, and kind of cool how it even degrades further. I think with the stripper pulls off a piece of it, and you kind of get some some cool scenes of that. So, like I said, how much they fucked up the mask in mm-hmm. four, five, six, you know, resurrection, pretty much everything else. It's cool to have you know another decent mask in this one, and and kind of degrading it further. Um, anything else anyone wants to say before we try to jump through these kills and wrap up final thoughts? I think we talked about this movie longer than I thought we would. That's for sure. <laughs> All right, uh, so kills. We get the uh, real kills here. I'm looking on the kill list, I'm good. and it doesn't say they're a dream, so I think you're right. Um, they crash the ambulance into a cow, and it <laughs> kills uh, Hooks, who's one of the guys, and then uh, Richard Brake, who plays Gary Scott, the uh, potential uh, you know, body body uh, rapist uh, for dead people. What's that called? Uh, nec- nec- necrophilia. Uh, he gets uh, decapitated with a glass shard, which another grunting scene. He's just sawing his head in, and then he brings his head over to uh, White Horse, uh, White Horse and Mom. But that starts out, and then we get the dream sequence where you know Octavia Spencer is stabbed about fifteen times. We get a nurse with her eyes gouged out. We, you know, I guess assume the doctor and nurses are killed, and then uh, Buddy, who's trying to help her out in the guard shack, gets hit in the back with the um, with the axe there. Uh, moving on to the hunters, he's stabbed in the stomach and paled through the deer antlers, uh, eyes slash stomach stabbed, stabbed in the chest and the poor old dog, Ivan killed and killed and eaten there. And, uh, kind of, uh, you know, pointless scene, obviously Halloween, I think kills more animals than any horror movie. And it's one of the ones I don't really care for. So I'm glad in the new one, they avoided that, even though they teased it a little bit. Um, what else do we have? I think we have the. The red rabbit scene, which we talked about, head stomping, arm breaking, head bashings. Uh, what's next? I guess Wolfie stabbed in the back, Harley David strangled, Andy Neal's neck snap, and then we go to Annie, which is just a brutal one. And the way they do it is interesting. It like shows that he's been there. And then once they're kind of investigating the scene, they have this uh, flashback of him just destroying the entire house and um, and killing her. And then Maya Rockwall, her friend, stabbed in the stomach, backs thrown through a car window, and then we get to the the, the final face-off where um, I guess it's a little bit different uh, in the theatrical. In the main one, it says Loomis is stabbed six times in, uh, in the chest and face, and then in the unrated one, he's just stabbed in the stomach. And then Michael Myers, like you said, is stabbed uh, in the theatrical one in, in the unrated one is just blown up by the police. And then Lori is shot in the unrated cut, but yeah, another 20, 23 bodies here in this one. So same thing. Most of them are really unmentionable or, or kind of pointless characters, which is really what I think what we talked about Halloween films, when you care about the characters, it's a lot better than when it's just a random kill, like all of the campers or counselors and in, in Friday the 13th and in those films. But anything stand out to you guys in this one? They're all just, uh, <laughs> they're a lot. <laughs> they're all a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, when it comes, like, I've I've got to be in a mood for excessive violence. Uh, and when I watch my Halloween series, that's not really what I want to see. Um, you know, I have a certain view of this series. It's obviously my favorite horror series. Uh, and I don't know, I just don't connect uh just hardcore excessive violence um 
with Michael Myers. Um, you know, you can give it to other characters, you can give it to other movie series, but uh, I don't know, just doesn't quite fit. No, no, not a feel-good movie. Definitely a downer. Tyler, what do you what do you feel when you watch the Green Inferno? <laughs> the Green Inferno. Oh, Eli uh, Roth. I've I've only seen the Green Inferno once. And, I saw it in uh, theaters, and that was uh, that was once was enough for me. I was just um, thinking about gratuitous violence. Yeah, better better or worse than the Cabin Fever remake? Oh my god, I don't mind the Green Inferno, <laughs> but. <laughs> okay, we're <laughs> I think it's one of one of his better movies. I know this is oh, a total really tangent. We're not supposed to talk about Grand Bruno, but I think it was it's successful as far as Eli Roth goes. I, um, oh. I yeah. mean, people notice I like I haven't been talking. I've been listening to you guys. I just I was yeah. just I was just about to say you've been suspectly quiet on this movie. I, well, it's because um, me and you wa- we all watched it like today and yesterday, and he's like, you know, he had to take a tap out because he saw it a couple months ago. I watched probably, it three right? months ago, um, and I watched it with my girlfriend, and I, I <laughs> and, and, and it was like one random afternoon during COVID quarantine, and I think you know she's like, I told her we were going through the Halloween movies, and like, dude, like she's a huge, you know, like she likes horror films, so she's just like, I'm over them. You've watched those so many times, but. And I think it's because of this one. I think that's what was like, no, like, we're done with this. Stop watching these movies twice a year. I was like, oh, I think I'm going to watch Halloween too. I, 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 you know, I want to. And then, you know, I mean, we're, we're good. Like, it didn't cause, like, some, like, huge, like, rift of partnership or anything like that. But, like, dude, it's, <laughs> it, it breaks people's fucking brain, man. Um, and it, it's just not what I think you're looking for. Um, with the Michael Myers movie, but like it's like a film exercise. I mean, it's fine. It's fine for that in that respect. Just be like, sure, make it a dream. Why not? Why the hell not? Okay, because none of it matters. <laughs> you know, and that's kind of how I feel. Well, and so, I, and so I enjoy listening to people talk about it and express about it. But I don't, I don't have a lot more that I really care about with this movie. I, I, I just, it's so difficult for me to articulate. You know, just how whatever this movie is, I guess. You know, as, as far as like as far as the Halloween franchise goes. Um, but I guess that's me more. So than, it's bottom on your list. I mean, honestly, no. It's Assy Resurrection because this movie at least has artistic. Merit. All right. Um, but you know, and that's how I felt about Resurrection. I, if we wouldn't have watched it all together. It, it wouldn't have happened because I watched it two years ago and was so, yep, you know, mad at it. It's it's kind of how I how I feel about this one, um, as well as like the performances. I don't feel like Rob Zombie. I think you let them do whatever they wanted. I think everybody got to do whatever they wanted on this movie, um, as long as they hit like certain points. And I think that's fine. But yeah, I, I've just been enjoying listening more than anything. Good way to sum it up. Yep. Uh, so I, I guess those are your final thoughts and opinions. Uh, with a bullet. With a big kitchen knife. <laughs> yes. <laughs> with, with, a big, with a big fucking shot. With, with a big fucking shotgun. To riding Mark a white horse. Skull. Carrying a torch. I don't know. Just I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess we'll go into to my final thoughts. Um, so yeah, this movie. Uh, when I watched it in theaters, I walked out and uh, basically muttered to myself like the Halloween series is dead. Uh, 
it's dead. It's buried. I don't know if it's going to come back from this. Um, I, uh, I was just absolutely flabbergasted when I saw it in, in, in theaters. I, I couldn't believe uh, we went from the first one with such subdued, intense horror uh, to this just monstrosity uh, of, a, of a brutal film. And uh, the only positive thing I can say about it is, you know, I've, I've said it once before, Rob Zombie has a vision and he got to carry out his vision. That vision is just not my thing. Um, the violence is way too over the top. It's way too excessive. Uh, I feel like Michael is less Michael at this point and more of just like a killer caricature uh, that has just evolved into this hulking, massive hobo mountain man character. Uh, and, uh, yeah, this is definitely, uh, you know, at least with with watching Resurrection, I can make fun of the movie while I'm watching it. Like, there's no joy in this film. Like, there's 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 zero joy. There's zero feel good. There's zero to laugh at. Like, it's just a tough watch, man. Like, it, it's a very tough watch, and it's a very just brutal exercise to get through. And for that reason, it's my second least favorite uh, of the series. And like I said, uh, this might be the last viewing that I put myself through because I just, uh, yeah, not not a fan. Not a fan at all. What do you think, Bob? Um, I would watch this before I watch part one again, for sure. Uh, it's, it's, it's not really (laughs) consistent with like what you want to see from a Halloween movie, but it is consistent like in and of itself. If you just watch this movie, um, and even really just forget the first movie, just kind of like take this for what it is. Um, and I think it's interesting knowing that Rob Zombie never really intended to make a sequel, uh, to his, to his, uh, to part one. Um, the studio told him they're going to do it with or without him. So he's like, well, fuck, I guess, I guess I'll make this movie. Um, I feel like he was probably just kind of forced into it. And he's like, you know, the, the first time round, whatever he wanted to do, I feel like it was a little bit stifled or muddled. So he just went balls to the walls is, is kind of how I read into this movie is like, he was like kind of forced into it. And he's like, fuck it. I'm just going to do some wild and crazy shit. And he did for sure. Um, and I think, like I said, some of the, the stylistic choices were kind of percolating in his mind and he sort of, um, expounded upon them whenever he made Lords of Salem a little bit later. I like kind of seeing, uh, the, the beginnings of that in this movie. Um, do I want like Michael Myers as a character to have like visions of a white horse and his dead mother? No, that's ridiculous. I don't want to see that, but at least it's consistent within this movie and, and it kind of sort of makes sense, I guess, in the context of this movie. Um, I don't know. I, I, I kind of give it more of a pass because it's true to itself in that way, but it's not, it's, it's nowhere near the top of like my favorite Halloween movies. Um, so yeah, like that's true to itself, probably the uh, best I, defense I, I can, I, don't I can give this anymore, one. So I'll just say you guys, um, yeah, you, you guys summed it up. I mean, it's cool seeing Lori go crazy and you know, there's some, there's some <laughs> cool kill scenes, but 
Uh, I'm ready to put a bow in this and have fun finishing up the franchise with uh, um, with you guys for uh, Halloween three and and the new one, and obviously being able to talk about our overall rankings and in the future of the franchise. So. Let's wrap this one up and uh, yeah, <laughs> what do you guys think? You guys want to, I guess, uh, plug where you can find you, Bob. You want to talk about your your podcast real quick here? Start things off. Yeah, totally. Um, I am Bob from Straight Chilling Podcast Horror Movie Review. You can find our show anywhere you find your podcasts: um, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube. Google Play, anywhere and everywhere. Um, that's straight chilling with a G on the end. Google <laughs> will try and autocorrect you to spell chillin, which is ridiculous. Um, yeah, but we're, we're a weekly horror movie Congrats. review show. We've been uh, doing it for over six years. We've, we're coming up on our 300th show. We've got a massive bat... Thanks. Thank you. Uh, we've got a massive back catalog that you can find, uh, like I said, anywhere you get your podcast. We've also got a, a straightchilling.com. You can find all of our episodes on there. We are on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. If it's a social media outlet, we're on it. And all you got to do is search Straight Chilling awesome. Podcast. Um, and you as can always, find us. guys, you can find um, me. And please do. Uh, mostly Check us on out. Instagram at the.shape.1978. Uh, always sharing opinions, thoughts, uh, what I've been watching lately. Uh, and upcoming uh, previews and episodes uh, that we're going to be covering. So, uh, yeah, give me a follow on Instagram. And you can find the show at Scream Cinema Pod on anywhere, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, Obviously, find our podcast. You already know because you're listening to it. And then I have my personal one, which is at Screaming Cinema, where I just post horror movies, reviews, all that good stuff. So I'm honestly, uh, obviously wrapping up Halloween here next week, but I'm excited to, we'll have our episodes where we do things, but I'm excited to take a break and maybe dig into some more uh, regular cinema outside of the horror. I always love October, but as soon as November rolls around, I think we talked about it. It's nice to kind of maybe do some horror adjacent or those things. Uh, but we should have some good episodes in the pipe. We just talked about it. Should have a Thanksgiving episode coming up. Christmas episode, always fun stuff to talk about there with those, uh, I just love movies based on holidays. So yeah, there you go. What about you, James Clay? And you can find me at uh, Instagram. I have a Twitter. I've said that several times. People listen to this podcast. Um, I don't ever use it, um, but you find me on Instagram <laughs> at uncut.films. Um, but I, you know, uh, look at me on Letterboxd. I really like Letterboxd. Letterboxd is chill. I'm James C. Clay there. Uh, I got myself with a very appropriate pumpkin uh, photo. So, um, you know, hey, uh, give me a follow on Letterboxd. I'm pretty active on there. Uh, pretty much multiple times a day I'm doing stuff on there. Fantastic, guys. Uh, once again, we want to thank uh, Bob for joining us uh, on this episode. We really appreciate him uh, joining us uh, and providing uh, insights to uh, some of the lesser-loved uh entries in this series uh so we thank you very much for uh for uh you know joining us on this episode absolutely would definitely love that guys uh, thanks for having me guys it was a pleasure out, talking uh, with y'all and uh, hopefully we get to do it again Halloween sometime. series uh coming next week uh, right at you so until then uh stay safe and we'll catch you later <laughs>